the Ursa's claws. Welcome to episode 138 of the Age of Darkness podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, uh, do all the social medias. If you're looking for a t-shirt, we're on Big Cartel and our email is agedarkness at, wait, no, agedarknesspodcast at gmail.com. It would have been better if it was agedarkness at gmail.com. I couldn't get that one. So I had to put the podcast in it. Anyways, we got a banger of a show for you today. Darren, what do we have in the strategium? So we've almost reached the end. We are talking about militia. We've got the heavy support section left to do, which I'd like to say shouldn't take us that long, but we also know how it yeah, we should, we, we thought we were gonna do the militia in one episode. This is like what yes. five? Uh four or five. I think it's four think it's four. four or five. Yeah. But we are building up to our calling show, aren't we? So you'll have seen on Facebook that we put up a message saying about to get in contact with us. So in the very next episode, we are going to be holding the call-in show so we can hear about your military armies. I know a few people have already contacted us because they're really keen to talk yeah, about my, it. My apologies to uh, to John and Stefan and a couple other people that like contacted us months ago about the call-in episode. It's like, is this happening? It's like, we have to get through the actual list first. And of course... Yeah. Everything with this uh, show takes forever. So my apologies. But we're doing it. It's happening. Yeah, it is. Next episode, but today's episode, we are talking about heavy support. We finally get to talk about all those gorgeous, lovely tanks you get from the militia. Well, three of them anyway. Yes, so we're actually going to finish today. Yep. No, um... we are, we are going to finish militia today. <laughs> yep. And after that, in Tales of Heresy, it's, gonna, it's the penultimate episode of our reviews of the uh, of the black library novels we're almost done we are so close so, so near <laughs> so we're doing uh barry dagger uh hey, today are you are we literally saying we're gonna are we saying it's all gonna be over by christmas <laughs> let's, let's see what we can do uh <laughs> we're doing my best here um new so, new year new series new year new series i don't know what's gonna be but we'll see uh <laughs> i don't know probably primark novels who the fuck knows could do Gaunt's Ghost. That'd be fun. Anyways, moving along. We're going to do the second part of our three-part series on Barry Dagger. And we get to see how many Hammer Horror references we get in this time. I really think we can we can jam in, in, in this part of the novel. We, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, in fact, I'm quite sure we'll get other horror movie references in as well. Because it's that type of book, isn't it? Oh, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's already going to be a pretty packed episode. Do we have anything to talk about in the intro? Can we just uh, go right into it? Random militia? Let's just get let's get straight into it, shall we? Let's just get straight into militia. Alright, let's jump into militia. Here we go then. We are on to the final section. Well, the final section from us about the militia. We are talking about the big guns because we know that artillery wins wars. Well, logistics wins wars, but artillery certainly has a big factor off it. It is the king of battle, and you know that. Absolutely. And the heavy support section, and I know, JP, you've mentioned this multiple times yourself, being an Iron Warriors player, there's never enough slots in heavy support. Yeah, it's the most frustrating. I think it's the most competitive. Okay, for Militia, um, in the original version of Militia, definitely the one 
area where I wished we had more uh, more slots was troops. That's been fixed with the new edition. But we still have the super competitive heavy support. And there actually are a lot of good options in here for militia. Well, there's um, always been a lot of good options. It's, this is yeah, this is what's doing a lot of the heavy heavy lifting in this army. Absolutely. And this is certainly where you're going to find the majority of your anti-tank. And yes, I know we talked about in the elite section that you've got the, the heavy weapon batteries. You've got heavy weapon batteries in your troop sections as well. But this is really where your main anti-tank is going to be. Um, and let's face it, you need anti-tank because there's contemptors running around. And you don't have much else to deal with contemptors in this armor list. So how about we start with one of your pretty good options for dealing with tanks, which is... I, I would uh, say probably your best option for dealing with tanks, to be honest. Best, you think? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 if you choose the right option, and we're talking about the rapier battery, which for the militia starts off as dirt cheap. It's 30 points. Now, okay, you get three gunners and a rapier carrier, and that rapier carrier comes with a multi-laser battery which by itself is not bad. Um, the multi-laser is not to be sniffed at if you just want to clear out chaff. But really, it's when you look down at the options that you realise that actually that there's better options to take on the rapier. Now, the reason I'm saying that I think these are your best anti-tank options is because they're infantry, you can put them into cover much easier than you can your Lehman Russ or your Malkadors. So you can hide these in woods, you can hide these in ruins a little bit more. And because they're relentless, you can also be moving and firing them. You can also got a number of militia gunners for each rapier that you can use as chaff to take off before you start damaging the rapier carrier itself. So I think there's options there. So what can you do with this? Well, you can exchange a multi-laser for one of three options. One is the heavy bolter battery, one is the laser destroyer, and one is the good old quad launcher with only frag shells. I mean, that's there's important only, to note. There's only one reason do we take this. Yes, we already and mentioned. that's the laser destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Why are we saying that? Well, okay, let, let's go through the options first of all. Let, let's deal with the, 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 um, the bolter array. So... That standard heavy bolter, 48 inches, strength 5 AP4. It is heavy eight twin links. So you are putting out a lot of firepower for that. But to be honest, I think the multi-laser is better just because it's slightly higher strength. I don't know, though. It's, it's, fairly, it's strength 6, AP6, heavy 6 twin links. I, I think the extra point of six, uh, strength does it for me on the multi-laser rather than the heavy bolter but you know it, i think it's horses for courses uh it is a free exchange so it, it you know that is a choice um the thud gun oh well the thud gun what, what can we say about the thud gun that's not been said multiple times before it's just a nice little artillery vessel um you know you, you're dropping your frag from it it's strength five ap5 heavy one barrage it is large blast so, you know, it's it's one of those few weapons out there which have kept the large blast, and it does have shred for re-rolling those wounds. So, you know, it's okay. But I think the but this is all anti-infantry. Um, yes. Pretty much every troop selection that you can, and you can take a lot now. Again, that yeah. part was fixed. 
Um, Absolutely. All, all your troop uh, choices can do this. Yeah. The laser destroyer is by far the best option. So that's 36 inch range. That's decent. It's strength nine. Well, that's the same as a LAS cannon. That's pretty good for, for going through vehicles. It's AP1. That's a key thing. So you're getting a good plus two on the vehicle damage table. And then we come across the additional rules. Number one is twin linked. So you're going to get a re-roll when you miss. And with a blister skill of four, or sorry, blister skill of three, and so needing fours to hit, twin linked is your friend because it's dramatically increasing the chance you're going to hit. It's ordnance two. So you get to re you get to roll two dice per hit and pick the highest one for your armor penetration. And it's Exoshock 6+. So on a penetrating hit, if you roll an additional dice on a 6+, you get an additional penetrating hit. The Laser Destroyer is by far and away the best anti-tank option in your army. And you can take six of them in a rapier battery for a single slot. So that's potentially... 12 strength 9 AP1 attacks. It does almost double the cost of a laser of a rapier battery. It was only cheap to start off with. But that's it. 55 points. 55 points. That's that's decent. I I what's your take on this? I mean, I like it. Oh, I think it's necessary. Hold on. Let's let's do some math here. 55 times you can take a total of eight of them, right? Uh, six. Oh, one. Okay, times six. Okay, six. Three thirty. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, so but just... like my my main problem with this is is competing with other heavy support choices. Is it the best yeah. one? If I had four, maybe I don't know. Uh, it, it uh, a lot of it depends on uh on your provenance. Absolutely. For reasons that will be clear as we move along. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I don't think that that's a key point to note. There is, I think, when we look back at our retrospective, you, you're going to have that comparison with other things. So, you know, rapiers, I solidly rate. I think they're one of the better options. We then move on to the Malkador heavy tank. What a, what a, what a, what are your thoughts on the Malkador just generally, like aesthetically? Because it's been it. around since 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 Vrax. I love it. I place. have to say. Yeah, it, it is my favorite Imperial tank of all Amazing. time. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's high praise. Yeah. I, I I rate this aesthetically over the Lehman Russ every day of the week. And performance-wise, yeah, they've, they've, they've had the ups and downs over the years, but I really like the Malkador. I've got a lot of time for it. I saw some Macarius. Yeah. The the Lupercal heavy tank. Normally known See, that's as the Macarius. Nice. We can't use it no more. No, you can't. It's in Legends. Is it, is it in, the, it's in the Legends? But okay, never mind. It's, yeah, um, it's in the Legends. But the Malkador tank, yeah. I, I like the fact as well that in the lore, the Malkador is already old by the time you get to a heresy. Yeah. And it's been phased <laughs> out in return for the Lehman Russ. It's an old tank. It's 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 too heavy. Um, it's like the like the T thirty five at the start at the outbreak of 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 World War Two, right? It's just like <laughs> heavy tanks like this are not the future, uh, or the, 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 the KD, like, KD yeah. series, right? Yeah, 
I think what I like about it is the, the kind of slight World War One aesthetic. It's that World War One interwar years where they're trying to work out what do we do with this technology. Let's just put more guns on it. And it does have a lot of guns. It does have lots of guns. So do you want to talk through a Malkador? Yeah. So the or Malkador do, you, or do that. you want to do the Lehman Russ? Because I know you're you're a big Lehman Russ fan. Oh, can I do the Lehman Russ? You want to do the Lehman Russ? Okay. I want to do the Lehman Russ. All right, I'll do the Malkador. Then we get our favourites. So in terms of its stat line, it's movement 14, which is already faster than the Lehman Russ. But that's always one of the big things about the Malkador, hasn't it? It's always been a fast tank. Uh, Blister Skull of 3, it's Militia. Um, armor of 13, 13, 12. So it's well armoured and it has five hull points. However, remember it is third line. It is third line. So any you, you want to remind our, or, our, our listeners what that means? Because it sucks. Yeah, so <laughs> it really sucks. Well, it, well, yes and no, it doesn't. Yes, it sucks in terms of taking damage because any glance in it automatically penetrates. That's a problem. However, you also don't give up any uh, victory points when it blows up because it true. will blow up. So, you know, it's a free one that you can throw to the enemy. It also has the reinforced trait, and I can't remember what reinforced does. Have you got a copy of one of the Libra books available? While you're looking it up, I'll carry on through the rest. So you get one Malkador for your points, and it's just shy of 200. You get one whole front-mounted heavy bolter, one whole front-mounted head battle cannon, and then one left and right heavy bolter. So the firing arcs are, are, are quite unique. It's not got a turret in the same way that Lehman Russ has. It has that fixed gun at the front with a limited traverse. So that's why you're only shooting to your front arc with your battle cannon. You then got the, like, the heavy bolter mount in front, and then the classic side-mounted heavier weapons that are shooting out to the side, a bit like the Mark IV British tanks in World War One. Options. And the Lehman Russ comes with a lot of options just because it comes with a lot of guns. So you can exchange your battle cannon for either a Gravis Las cannon or a Vanquisher battle cannon. I, I know which one I would be going for there personally. You could exchange the heavy bolter for an auto cannon, a multi-laser, a heavy flamer, a Las cannon, or a demolisher cannon, and you can exchange the side heavy bolters for auto cannon and multi lasers, heavy flamers, or las cannons. You can also take some pinter weapons. Pinter weapons in this edition are pretty good because it means you can always do defensive fire. So you've got the multi laser once again, you've got a choice for heavy stubber, the classic heavy stubber, or the heavy flamer. And then you can take searchlight, smoke launchers, you can take a hunter killer missile or a dozer blade as well. So it does come festooned with lots of options. The danger there is that you can really load up on lots and lots of options and spend lots of points on something that could potentially get taken out by one last can on the first turn because of third line. JP, what are you thinking about the Malkador? Well, number one, I can't find the reinforced rule. It's under subtypes. Good call, bud. Reinforced. There we go. I've never seen this rule before. Uh, the following rules apply to all models with the reinforced subtype. Model with reinforced uh, ignores the effects of any crew shaken. That's good. A model with reinforced yep. does not have to make snapshots due to the effect of the crew stun result on uh, the vehicle damage table. Still cannot so move or pivot until the end of the next turn. 
So you you can't move. So cruise shaker means you can still move at full speed. That's perfectly fine. But it means you never have to take snapshots. That's pretty good. That's good. I like it. That's good. I'd, I'd take it. So what 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 are your thoughts on the Malkador? Okay. What what would you what would you load yours up with? I love the Malkador. I think it's great. I would definitely. Uh, well, the one that I have has a battle cannon, demolisher cannon, which I've never never been a problem. Always very effective. Uh, definitely give it uh, at least. Uh, well, I, I I usually keep the heavy bolters. But does it have stubbers? I haven't used that in a while. Um, it, it now comes with heavy bolters. Heavy bolters. For the it used to have come with stubbers, eh? I think I only have the stubbers on mine. Um, oh, I can't take the uh, armored ceramite anymore. No. That's too bad. I just noticed It's that. militia. They don't have that level of technology. <laughs> They're lucky they get Malkadors. I would I would take it pretty bare bones. Just the uh, um, battle cannon. Uh, demolisher. It's just a good tank. 185 points. It's like 100 points cheaper than a land raider. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. There is the temptation for a Vanquisher battle cannon. There Because I do like the Vanquisher. We'll, we'll talk about the Vanquisher gun in a couple of moments when we talk about the Lehman Russ. Um, but yeah, if it's an option for a demolisher cannon, I mean, the demolisher cannon stats are now pretty meaty actually um so it's only 24 inch range yeah it's always been short strength 12 so for armor penetration that's horrific ap3 so it's one of a few natural ap3 guns in mm. the game ordnance one so if you do fire against a vehicle you're rolling two dice and picking the highest and then adding 12 it's a small blast template now yeah most games got reduced. Sunder, so you can be re-rolling wounds against vehicles for when you do roll that inevitable one, because you will. Rending 6+, plus, so there's a chance you could get AP2, but it's Brutal 3. So if anything does get a save, like Terminators, they're having to make three saving rolls for every hit. Beauty. And if you, Love it. If you do luckily get that Rending 6 on it, that's three invulnerable saves on Terminators. So, yeah, the Demolisher Cannon is a good gun, but it's very short-ranged. So just just bear that in mind. You are in danger close of the enemy. But, yeah, I, I think the Malkador is a solid tank. It's a nice one to anchor your line on, I think. And I think the higher speed and the five hull points do make a difference. I mean, those hull points are going to take, get taken off really quickly with third line. But you can rely on the Malkador to be doing the job. I think that's a key area. With that reinforced trait, I think you can rely on it as decent armor. But you only get one per slot. Yeah. Which is yeah. something we're going to come on to with a Lehman Russ as well, isn't it? So you only get one per slot. So it yeah. is eating up slots. So let's talk about the Lehman Russ. I love the Lehman which, Russ. And, yeah. I will say... Have you read Warhawk yet? I have not. I have not. Right. In Warhawk, um, there is a one-page description of Philemon Russ in there, which highlights what a terrible tank it is. There's, there's, it, there's, there's it, literally a whole-page description about the fact that it's slab-sided, sided. there's no kind of armour protection, it's cramped, it's hot, 
it's uncomfortable but but the reason it's such a good design is what come on jp this this is your baby it's Why easy it to design? manufacture there you go the reality is you can have a perfect tank or you could have a hum- hundred Lehman Russes. Which do you prefer? And, and this is why the Malkadors were phased out in favor of Lehman Russ. Yeah. On paper, the Malkador is a far superior tank. But, but if, you can't, if you can't deploy them, what's the point? There's, there no, there's no point in having a perfect tank um, if, if you can't manufacture them, if you have specialized engines. That's the other thing with the Malkadors. It has, it has a really complex engine, which is why yep. it's a fast tank in the heresy period. But if you go yep. into 40k, it's 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 too slow because they can't they can't repair its specialized engine. It's it's a good tank in ideal circumstances. But in the wars of the heresy, how many times have there been ideal circumstances? They don't exist. No. So the no the Lehman Russ is it's an ugly tank. It's got it's. It's it, it, it's cannon is too big, uh, 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 for a lot of its roles. Uh, it's got full. It's full of shot uh, 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 shot traps. Um, it, it, the the wraparound uh, um, uh, tracks are not ideal, but it can do everything well enough. And yeah. it's easy I, to manufacture. I love the I love the little sidebar. The sidebar, um law they put in it so it says lehman russ battle tanks were deployed by imperialist militias on both sides of the galactic civil war often in deliberate concentration this being their optimum deployment with relatively unskilled support troops and inexperienced tank commanders <laughs> so it sums it up if you've got 100 lehman russ some of it will get through it will get there eventually yeah but uh, and, <laughs> that's the whole point uh, yeah. it, it's it's it. This is a war-winning weapon, um, it, because again, there's no point in having a perfect tank that will break down on its way to the battlefield. The Lehman Russ will get there. It won't survive long on the battlefield, but it will get there. And while it's there, it is a deadly weapon. Until well, I was going to say, it might survive long enough. That's the key. Thing, it only it? needs to survive long enough. That's the point. Yeah. And if Everybody you want to see how much talking about the T thirty four, yeah, uh, and this is it. But if you want to see how easily they die, wait until Legion's Imperialis starts being played, and you'll see how quickly Lehman Russ yeah. starts to die. Well, here's then. the Let's thing. Here's this. the thing. Okay, so uh, 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 this is going to be in two parts. Number one is how terrible the Lehman Russ is, uh, and then I'll talk about how great the Lehman Russ is. Number one, yeah. one hundred twenty points. I mean, it's not that much cheaper than the Malkador. The Malkador is way better. Like, why would you not take the Malkador? for like 65 more points uh it really is that much better um it's got movement 10 so it's slower um uh, it's got better front armor yeah which is good so but front it's, towards enemy yeah it's got one less hull point again that balances it uh, 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 out a little bit it's got I a think single that's battle a good point. four hull points on a bait on a Battle line tank is pretty good. Most of his starties ones only have three. It's a survivable tank. Yeah. I mean, it'll survive long enough, but it's still third line. So yes. every one of those <laughs> glances are gonna become pens. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's got it's got some decent armor on it. It's a bit slower than the uh, the, the Malkador, but it's still 
still decent. It's, it's only got the one uh, battle cannon, so you don't have the option of the two um, ordnance weapons. Um, it's got a what a single heavy bolter, although you can obviously take the sponsons. I never take the sponsons. Um, no, you can't. There are no sponsons. What? Yep, you look down the options. There's no. Oh my god! I, I just option. kind of assumed. No, they can exchange the turret gun. They can exchange the whole no gun. Way. They can take a pinter oh, weapon. There are no sponsors. I, I just, I again, I just kind of assumed. Never mind then. Yep. Oh, that's even somebody that actually glued sponsors onto their Lehman Russes. But who does that? No one yeah. takes the sponsors. Um, again, that's probably why I didn't notice. Um, so you can change uh, the, the the battle cannon for a, a Gravis last cannon, Gravis auto cannon, the Vanquisher uh, with co uh, coaxial um, coaxial uh, auto cannons, which is actually a pretty good option. The mm -hmm. cannon, yeah, execution uh, executioner cannon, which is um, is that the plasma? Yeah, that's the plasma. Yeah, your standard your standard options. Uh, you don't get the Punisher cannon, but you never did in Heresy. Uh, I don't think. Um, you can exchange the uh the the, the heavy bolter with heavy flamer, multi laser, last cannon. Last cannon is not a bad option, but again, that's not why you're taking a a Lehman Russ. Um, you could take a, a, a pintle mounted heavy flamer, multi laser, and heavy stubber, or heavy stubber, I should say. Um, not a bad option. Um, take searchlights, smoke launchers, dozer blades. Dozer blades are often a pretty good option because um, you don't want you you want that reroll. But yeah, you want you don't want to be bugged down. Uh, bugged at, down, do you? At, at the end of the day, the battle cannon is not what it used to be. It can't kill marines anymore. Um, it's this is not a good tank. Uh, and you, you can't take squadrons, right? So you no. have, so you have three. Heavy support selections, right? Why would you take a Lehman Russ over a Malkador if you have three? Why would you take a Lehman Russ over um, an Ordnance Battery? Uh, or uh, even... I, 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 why would you take a Lehman Russ over a a, a battery of, uh, of, of laser destroyers? Of rapier laser destroyers? That's going to be way more effective. So the Lehman Russ is a terrible option probably the worst of the heavy sport options unless god unless you take the correct provenance which is industrial stronghold and there you go provenances <laughs> you could take industrial stronghold uh, uh, uh what industrial stronghold gives you is you could take an extra two heavy sport choices but they must be lehman russes oh no and also and also <laughs> and also uh, any Lehman Russ that you purchase uh, as part of your heavy sports slots can take up to five additional Lehman Russes. Oh, no. So, so here's why have... the Lehman Russ is the best option. <laughs> uh, you could take... You could take... Uh, I gotta do quick math. Five. You could take 30 Lehman Russes <laughs> in a normal yes. game. Yes, you can. <laughs> 30! How much that cost you? 30 times 120. Let's just go bare bones. That's 3,600 points. There you if you go. play like now, a proper sized heresy game, like, you know, like 5,000 points, something like that, you could take 30 Lehman Russes on a now, single force, organ force organization chart. That is why the Lehman Russ is the best 
option in your heavy sport. There you go. If if you really want to go on a step further, you really like the idea of that. mobile armored warfare. You could combine that with a provenance that allows you to take rough riders as troop choices. And then you could have your cavalry charging alongside your Lehman Russ. Just just imagine the look of so that happy. on the table. Just imagine. So you've got squadrons of Lehman Rust just moving forward, laying down fire with auto with battle cannons and vanquishers. And then you've got your cavalry charging in between the tanks with the hunting lances, firing shotguns. Oh, makes your heart proud. It's just sometimes games workshop makes makes me make, makes me sad. You know, and then sometimes they remind me. Why I love this so much. So sometimes they understand. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes they understand the job. To be fair, a couple of the guns are pretty good on the turret. The Vanquisher has had a real glow up in this edition. So, I mean, it's got a coaxial autocannon for starters. Now, for those of you who aren't sure what coaxial rule does, if you score a hit on the on a target with a coaxial mount, you get a reroll to hit with a main gun. So if you score a hit with your auto cannon, you get a reroll to hit on the battle on the vanquisher. Now, bear in mind the auto cannon is heavy too. Your blister skill of uh, of three, so you're hitting on fours up. Statistically, and we know statistics is a lie in a, in a GW game, but statistically, you should get one hit. That then gives you that re-roll on your Vanquisher. The Vanquisher itself, 72-inch range, that's good. Strength 9 AP2, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Heavy 2, so it always used to be in the past, it's a single shot. So the fact it's now heavy 2 means you've got double the number of shots you had last time, which you may be able to re-roll if you hit with a coaxial. It's got Sunder, so you're re-rolling arms, uh, re-rolling armor penetration, and it's brutal too. So this is your anti-dreadnought weapon. If someone rocks up with a Vanquisher, uh, someone rolls up with a Contemptor, you just get your 10 Lehman Rust, because you wouldn't be taking these unless you got the correct provenance, and you just dump 10 Vanquisher cannons into a Contemptor. It's not going to get up after that. I don't care how ancient you are. <laughs> I don't care first, how ancient you are. You're not getting up after that. Yeah. Love first of all, you pepper it with autocannons because mm. your autocannons can wound them as well. And if you're really lucky, you get remnants on it. So once it's had a few chips taken off the paintwork with the autocannon, the vanquishers just finish it off. Perfect. There you go. Love it. I love it so much. I don't know. Vanquisher aesthetically looks great, especially, uh, especially oh. the Mars pattern. It's a yeah. really, really uh, uh, nice looking gun. It makes the Lehman yeah. Russ look, uh, I don't know, look very dangerous and modern. Not modern, oh, modern. You know what I mean. The execution is pretty good, I have to say. So it's 48 inch range, strength seven, which is okay. AP four, which you're kind of thinking, uh, not sure. Heavy one, large blast. So once again, it's one for few weapons with a large blast, but rending four plus. And it's rending, not breaching. That could kill Marines. The AP up to well, yeah, an auto auto wound. So potentially you could be using that against talons of dreadnoughts as well. So as much as we may malign the Lehman Russ, it does actually come 
potentially with some very good guns on board as well. So it's not to be discounted, but I think, as, as we've made it abundantly clear, you do need to concentrate Lehman Russ, and yeah. you, that potentially uses up one of your provenance slots. But if you like Lehman Russes like I do, that is definitely the one well, you'll take. There we go. Let's move on. So we're moving on beyond tanks now, aren't we? We've talked about anti-tank. So we talked about the rapiers. We've talked about the the, the tracked units with the, the Malkador and Lehman Russ. Let's talk about the big guns. Because, you know, the militia list is is functionally World War One, yeah. And those of you who like who who have got your death corps krieg armies with all the heavy ordnance batteries here you go they put the heavy heavy ordnance batteries into the list for you so the heavy ordnance battery is 75 points um the gun carriages are tough to seven um uh, and have four wounds other than that pretty much militia stuff um stat lines so you can take an earth shaker um you can also up to, uh, upgrade them to have a medusa which is same as it used to be. You can add um, extra gun carriages. So uh, you start with the one at 75 points and you can add them uh, extra ones at 65 points. Uh, the Medusas, to upgrade, them to, uh, to upgrade them to Medusas is 25 points. Anyways, that's not that different than what it used to uh, be. Um, you also have the man the guns rule, which is you can, um, uh, um, you have to have a certain number of, of artillery crew to be able to actually fire the weapons. If they don't have a crew, then uh, they're they're kind of screwed. Um, I think it's like two per crew. Yeah, two militia gunners per uh, gun ca- uh, uh, carriage. So definitely worth yeah. uh, grabbing the extra gunners. Also, it allows you to bubble wrap the uh, the guns a little bit. Um, yeah, because someone is going to drop an assault squad next to them. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> That's why you have so much infantry, though. Obviously, they'll be bubble yeah. wrapped with infantry squads as well. Double bubble wrap for the amount of infantry you can put around them. So the Medusa makes me sad. Um, it used to be AP2 and now it's AP4. Uh, it does have rending 6 plus. It's all right, I guess. Um, yeah. The Earthshaker. I don't know. At this point, I think the Earthshaker is probably a better option. It, it depends what you want it for, isn't it? That That's what it, I mean. For the Medusa, you are very much fishing for that rending. Yeah, but it's a six plus. I'd rather but, take the the shred. Absolutely, I, because I agree the Earthshaker has would... shred and the Medusa doesn't. I I I don't know why that is. I I would have thought the Medusa would have shred as well and rending, but you're it's got the they both have the same strength in AP now nine and four. Yeah, and AP four, they're both large blast five. They're both pinning. The difference I, I is that think... the Earthshaker has shred and the Medusa has rending, and I just I think the Earthshaker is a better option now. Yeah. Oh, and more pinning because the militia list really lacks pinning. Um, yeah, I, my 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 preference would come down to the O'Shaker because the other thing about the O'Shaker is the two hundred forty inch range. Yep. Uh, so, you, so you're going to be a lot less at risk of return fire. The, the Medusa, your chances are you could get to return fire back at you, which will shred your heavy weapon batteries um, with the earth shaker and they both got barrage. So you can park them behind things and just launch shells over the top. Bear in mind, you don't have many nuncio boxes in your uh, militia list. So things are going to scatter, but you know, that that's life from a militia. It would land somewhere. 
It's I don't know. I I think this is a weak choice personally. I aesthetically on the tabletop. Yeah, aesthetically on the tabletop, these heavy ordnance batteries look amazing. I think but, so long as they're not competing with things like Libidoruses or or Malkadors, um if you take industrial stronghold and so you just have like an unlimited amount of Libidoruses, <laughs> yeah, throw in uh cuz I have some beautiful um um artillery pieces that I got from Victoria Miniatures. Uh their their big gun kit and I'm loath to not use them. Uh but they're yes. definitely not as good as they used to be. No. No, they're not. Which is a shame. But then we know in version 2 artillery has taken a big hit, literally. Well, so it's, no, it's all about uh, uh uh making power armor feel like power armor. Um which is yeah. great. Um I'm it shouldn't have been so easy for me to kill uh, Marines in the last edition. Uh, I should need more numbers to kill Marines. I get that. No. And I'm fine with it. Yeah. So let's move on. So we, we've talked about the big guns, but sometimes everybody's the guns favorite enough. unavailable kit. Never available yeah. kit. No, because sometimes you just need to get your troops into a breach, don't you? Your artillery's caused the hole. Your tanks are great, but they can't seize objectives. Sometimes you just need boots on the ground, but they need to cover that dangerous terrain first. So what do we use to get them there? The cargo weight's lovely, but it's made of paper. So instead, let's roll out the Gorgon Heavy Transporter. It, it wouldn't be the militia list without one of these, would it? Let's be honest. I, I love it so much. Everybody loves it so much. Um, yeah. It's just that... What, what, it's one of those things that in the militia list, it'd be more fi- efficient to protect the Gorgon with a bubble wrap of infantry <laughs> than, <laughs> yes. than, than protect the infantry with a bubble wrap of a Gorgon. Because it's not exactly a fast mover of it. It's, it's no. movement eight. So it's only two inches faster than just standard militiamen. <laughs> so, but that that's perfectly fine because you bubble wrap it with levy to allow your troop choices, your your main militia squads to get up there. It's fine. That's what Levy are there for, isn't it? So it, it's 250 points, which is not that bad. For, for, for what you get, it's not that bad. It's movement eight, as we mentioned, blister school three, standard. Front armor 15. It's got the highest armor other than a titan. It's ridiculous. Armor 15. Now, we know how difficult armor 14 is to break through and things like Line Raiders and Lehman Russ. Front armor 15 makes Laz Cannons cry. Side armor of 14 and rear armor of 10. Yes, a Marine can punch its way into a backfit. It does have eight hole points and it does have a transport capacity of 40. So you can't transport an entire troop slot. That's an p- important key point. Let, let's recognize that. Um, oh, okay, I'm going to come back to this in a moment. Um, you get one for that 250 points. It comes with two heavy stubbers, fear the firepower, and two Gorgon mortar batteries. Now, the, the mortar battery has had a bit of a change. It is basically a, havoc, a one-shot Havoc launcher. It's not an exciting weapon, the Gorgon, the Gorgon heavy battery. It is basically a Havoc launcher. Oh, yep. No, it's basically a Havoc launcher with a large blast template and pin in, but only one use. Yeah, don't don't get excited by that. Yeah. Um, the unit types, it is third line. 
So every penetrating hit or every um, you're going to need a hit six on penetrating. the last cannon. Yeah, it's still pretty good. But because it's a super heavy, because it has a super heavy trait, you only lose an additional D3 hull points. So it won't auto blow. But maximum you can, so you can take two glance and hit, two lucky or unlucky glance and hits before it fully blows up. So that is something to bear in mind. It is quite survival and it's a transport. Now, I've just had a quick scan down. Nowhere does it say infantry transport bay. So you could. So you can fill it with Ogrens. <laughs> and you can fill it with Ogrens. A... Yeah. And because it's a super heavy, you can transport more than one unit. So you could have a bunch of Rough Raiders <laughs> barreling out of a Gorgon transport. <laughs> or you could have a bunch of Ogrens barreling out, supported by Sentinels with heavy flamers. <laughs> So this does everything the Cargo 8 does. So you listen back to the last episode about how excited we were about the Cargo 8. And then double that, because that gives you the Gorgon. Just good luck again with getting the kit. And the useful thing is it's got a front access point, point, so you don't have to reverse it towards the enemy. Now, it does have some options. So you can have up to two hunter-killer missiles. Exciting stuff. You can replace the heavy stubbers with multi lasers, auto cannon, or las cannon, and you can replace the gorgon mortar batteries with more auto cannon, heavy flamers, heavy bolters, multi lasers, or las cannon. So you can really upgun this thing. You know, let, let's be aware of that. You can upgun this. I think that, and the fact this is a heavy support choice means potentially you could take three. So. If you ever face a militia player and all they do on their first turn in deployment is put down three Gorgon heavy transporters, be very worried, <laughs> is what I'm going to say. You have to say what's in it? You have to say what's in it. Yeah, you have to say what's in it. But yeah, so so, so what's in that? Rough Riders. What's in that? Ogrins and Sentinels. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Come on, JP. What's, what's, what's your view on the Gorgon? You know, you could take three Gorgons, but you could also take Industrial Stronghold. <laughs> and another uh, um, twelve Lehman Russes. Yeah, with with those. So you take twelve Lehman Russes and and three Gorgons in all this. That could be your army. Um, and just uh, full. Well, you'd have to take troop choices, obviously. So and a rough rider provenance, so you can just put all your rough riders in. Heavy yeah, if you take those two, yeah. So it, <laughs> <laughs> is there one that allows you to take Ogrens as troop choice? No, I'm making that up. Yes, there is one. Yeah, I'm I'm not percent sure. Ogreen conscripts, isn't it? Flicking back through. Uh, yes, may select um, militia Ogreen breach causes troop choices, <laughs> and and they gain line. And you can put discipline masters, <laughs> militia medicate, and, and force commanders in with them. That would be a tough army. It would be, <laughs> it would be solid. Like uh, if you don't expect you go to a you go to a, like a, a, a tr- not a tournament there because uh, her- we're heresy we don't do tournaments but you do a you know um, a, a big narrative event uh, yeah like, dude who'd expect this no one could expect <laughs> ex- this and it's really thematic because what would the militia use to bre- force a breach yeah Ogrins. it's yeah, exactly you've been ordered to for. you've been ordered to take a to take a, a an Astartes position like yeah. W- you know, a, a smart militia commander, and I'm sure there are some. Yeah, be creative about it. 
or an Iron Warriors army with a militia allied force. Oh, yeah. That seems like something that the Iron Warriors would do. Oh, absolutely they would. Send in your queens with the Gorgons. We'll roll up our heavy yeah, infantry. They would bit. never expect that. <laughs> no one would expect the Ogryn transporter. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Gorgons rule. Good luck getting one, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, is there a problem with the kit? There was a problem with the kit is the reason that they have trouble producing it, eh? Yeah, they did retool it, didn't they? A few years ago, they did retool it. But yeah, I mean, I'm just having a look. Yeah, <laughs> I just can't. Because one of those, I just gave up on buying one. <laughs> Gorgon. Oh. Gorgon Armor Transport. There we go. It's in stock. <laughs> it's in stock. Oh, they changed it's, their it's... website, didn't they? Yes, I did. We, 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 yeah, we're not talking about that. Do I add the cart? No. Oh, no. he's tight right now. Look at it. But look <laughs> at it. Close, close in the tab. Close in the tab. I don't have $300 right now. Um, It's beautiful. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Gorgon <laughs> kicks ass. Yeah, moving along to the last, you get the last one since we've been doing. Two, I, two, I would almost argue a gorgon is a is a must have in your army, just for the look of it, just for having it. It's yeah. such a cool kit. Yeah, because everything. But let's move on. Amazing. But yeah, you you want to do the last yeah. one? Uh, uh, actually, you've done you've done. Two, no, I've right, just got two overly excited by the gorgon, and I'm looking at them online. <laughs> so. So I guess, uh, in fairness, uh, you've done three, I've done two, so I'll do the last one. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's Bane Blade. Bane, you know, just a Bane Blade. Further points, not as exciting as the Gorgon, that you can fill with Augrens. You can't fill any, you can put, you can't put any Augrens in this one. No. You can't put Cavalry in it? No. It's just a Bane Blade. Its armor is not as good, apart from the rear. Yeah, and has zero Augrens in it. Yeah, um, I mean, weak, tr- weak choice. I will say it's cheaper than the other versions of the other Bane Blades by about 200 it? points. Yeah, the Astartes one and the Solar Ox. Oh, because it's third 600. line. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to hurt it. But yeah. it's uh, movement 10. All right. Um, front 14, which is good. Side 13, rear 12. Nine hall points, not as good as the Gorgon. Um, it's got uh, your Bane Blade Cannon. If you're a fan of the Bane, Bla- Bane, Bane Blade Cannon, I'm just going to look that up actually, see what that actually it's, does. The Bane uh, Blade 72 inches uh, range, strength 8, AP 4, burn it's 1, large blast 5, pinning and rending 6 plus. The rending 6 plus is just awful. Yeah, it, it, most stuff. No, most stuff has that now, doesn't it? If it's rending. Mm. So you got a uh, Go coaxial auto cannon. All right. You got a uh, demolisher cannon. We've already mentioned that we probably prefer. Uh, you know, it's all right. It's got uh, twin heavy bolter. It's all right. Oh, uh, you can give it a hundred killer missile. Sure. It's got a searchlight and some some smoke launchers if you want to add them. Those are uh, uh, extra options. Um, you can give it sponsons, twin heavy bolters, heavy flamers. Um. You can uh, exchange those mounted weapons for uh, Sponson last cannons. Not a bad option, actually. It's a super heavy. Yeah. Um, and you can take uh, uh, pintle mounted uh, twin link bolters, heavy bolter, heavy flamer, multi melta, and having launcher. It's not a Gorgon. 
It's just not a good. It's not a good. It's no. not good. I mean, the Bane Blade is very much your traditional guard super heavy, isn't it? You know, it's it's the first big super heavy we ever saw. I mean, do you yep. remember the old plastic card one? The, the instructions for a plastic card one. Back yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was. I, the I remember first... the, uh, the the old uh, epic one as well. The old like uh, oh, it, the old metal yeah. one. Yeah. It's all right, but you could run companies of them, and we will soon be able to run companies of them with legions. Like, I think of companies of this, but four hundred points. It's your only Lord of War. It's just you can't put any Ogrins in it. No, and for me, that's going to no. be a pass. That's it. It's okay. I'd rather spend the points elsewhere. I think is what it comes down to. So that's it. We're done. We're done. We are done. And we did not so end that strong. Was, that 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 was. Our quick take on the militia. <laughs> we really thought we were going to do in one episode. So, anyways, five episodes later. Yeah. Or four. I don't remember how many. It's been too long. So, quick overview. Let's, let's just do a quick overview. Oh, you want to do a quick recap? Yeah, oh, not a quick recap. <laughs> not a quick recap. But what what's your hot takes? What, what are the things that really stand out for you? Uh, number one, there's some things I like. There's some things I like a bit less, but at the end of the day, uh, I am taken aback by the work that went into this. I was concerned that they were going to do like a a quick update of the militia list and just kind of leave a lot of its problems um, uh, uh, undealt with, if you will, um, unaddressed is what I was trying to say. Um but no, they, they took a lot of time on this. Games Workshop did a fantastic job and fixed number one. Biggest thing. If there's one thing, they fixed the biggest problem. They fixed the one problem that made Militia essentially barely playable in the last edition is you could not take enough troops. You just could not take enough guys. Um, uh, men and women. Um, which they solved with uh, with uh, what's called well, with multiple troops in the slot, isn't it? Strength in numbers. Could... Strength, of course, yeah. it's called strength in numbers. Um, that was the biggest problem, and they fixed that. Um, there's some things I like a lot. There's very little I dislike. Um, if there's anything that's like disappointing, is is it's like a you know some of the artillery weapons aren't as good anymore. But like whatever. Well, this is fantastic. This is incredible. The fact that they put this um, together uh, and and threw it out as a free PDF uh, is goes to show you that Games Workshop does not hate us. They don't. No, I, I would agree Usually. with that. I, the list when it came out, and it seems ages ago since it's come out now, but was far better than we possibly gave them credit for. Or, or <laughs> I was going to say, it's better than we deserve. And it might be true <laughs> based on the fact that I, my RPG is made up of models that I purchased in the 90s. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. The fact that we've recently had new Cadian kits has clearly influenced the militia list. Yeah. And I think if we hadn't had new Cadian kits come out, the militia list would have been reduced compared to what we've got. And I think that that's an important thing. I, I like the highlights. I think the militia unit subtype really adds to the character of the army. Third line is hilarious. It's funny. It's great. But the then. You know, yes, we it's got hordes of chaff infantry, 
but then there's also some like shining beacons in there, like the Ogrins and the Rough Riders and the Rapier batteries. So it's not an army I think you can just discount. It's certainly not an army you can discount. Can it hold up to a Legion army? Probably not, but then that's not its job. It's there to have fun. It's and that should be the, the primary thing. There are some dodgy units. The Beastmaster unit is a bit dodgy. But then you've got amazing things. And when I say amazing, I don't necessarily mean their battlefield usefulness, but things like the Cargoate and the Gorgon. that You can just have a lot of fun with. Who doesn't want to have transports with Ogrins and Sentinels barreling out of it? I mean, you can visualise that. I want to see that are people with no souls or yeah. that their inner child has completely died. Absolutely. I like it. I, I think overall, I rate this army list really highly for terms of fun and just for sheer amounts of modelling possibilities. You don't have to use Cadians or Guard. You can use Ogryn models. You can use Leagues of Votan if you want to from a 40k range. You can use Skitari models with the out with the um, Mechanicum provenance. So the, the, the modeling opportunities for this are huge, which we're going to hear about in the next episode for when oh, we get to do the calling. I like stuff. what you did there. That's good. I'm getting better. I'm getting better at this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. So yeah, in the next episode, we'll be talking about your own militia projects, um, your provenances, how you plan to, uh, or if you've already done it. I think a couple of people have already done it. You know, what is your what does your militia look like? Uh, how has it evolved between the first and second edition? Um, uh, what kind of crazy ideas did you come up with? Are there some kooky things that we didn't notice? We'll be talking to you in the next episode. And we'll be right back for Tales of Heresy. Dead and yet undying. The horror of it had driven Mortarian away, and even the stringent decontamination process had not been able to boil off the sick dread that washed back and forth in the Primarch's thoughts. What he had seen in the isolation chamber was something he had always believed was impossible. He was humble, or perhaps he had been humbled by hard experience, enough to know that there was much in the universe that he did not understand. Mortarian had witnessed many things at his time, terrors and delights alike so strange that no common mind could have beheld them and remained sane. But throughout all his years as master of the Death Guard, there were a handful of unshakable truths that he held as inviolate and unchangeable. They were the pillars upon which his sense of self and upon which the very soul of his legion were based. The Death Guard never retreat. They always resist. We do not fear death. We are not weak. But Suriac's horrifying decay and undeath put the lie to all that. Never in all his life had Mortarian encountered a venom or weaponized malaise that the Death Guard had been unable to defy. His warrior sons drank poison like water. They breathed nerve gases and toxins as if they were the purest inhalations of air, and their unshakable constitutions shrugged off any viral clade that either nature or twisted science could throw at them. No Death Guard legionary had ever died in that fashion. No one, be they a pale sun or Terran-born warrior, had ever shamed the 14th Legion by falling prey to something as paltry as a sickness. Until Zuriac. For that was what had claimed him, a contagion so incredibly virulent that it could burn through the fortress walls of his body and the soldiery of his bloodstream. Poor Zuriac had been invaded. No, worse than that. He had been conquered from within by the chimeric phage that Croesus had spoken of. A disease that could cripple the most indomitable of the Legionis Astartes? Before, Mortarian would have ridiculed the notion, 
but he had seen it with his own eyes. And the reality shook him. The strength of the Death Guard was to him an immutable law. To see it so thoroughly broken was an event he had no way to frame. And if that were not enough, it seemed the power of this capricious virus reached into the realm of the unearthly as well. How else could one explain the undeath? By all known measures, Zuriak should have been a corpse, and yet he lived still, if such a grotesque existence could still be called that. Mortarian looked down at his gauntlets. He had silenced the beating of the sun's heart as a mercy, to free him from this shame, only to watch the blade he used turn to rust and crumble. The decay, the living rot, the infestation, whatever it was, had transformed the legionary. Into what? The Primarch did not know. Alright, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is the second part of Buried Dagger by James Swallow. And as everybody knows, this is uh, the penultimate uh, uh, review episode for the main series of Horse Heresy books from the Age of Darkness podcast, so it's very exciting. Before we go any further, does anybody have an efficient synopsis of the second part of Buried Dagger? It is very dagger right. Yeah, I got it. I got it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah we okay. did. Yeah, don't, 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 don't double guess. Um, I'm gonna leave it up to David. I'm gonna leave it up to David to come up with summary. I've got my my usual slightly sarcastic summary, but I'm gonna leave it up to David as our Death Guard expert because David is once again joining us for the second part of this. We we can't leave out our um, resident scary scientist to help us with this. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, so, hmm, summary for this part of the book. Originally, I was going to say in which Callus Typhon would make an excellent mean girl. Um, hmm. But I think I'd have to go with Mortarion learns to be a real boy. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good. Darren, what was your sarcastic one? Uh, I was going to go for uh, a nice Game of Thrones theme and go, what is dead may never die. That's also Lovecraftian, though. It, it, it is. It is. Very but it, that that, it is that very which fitting. is... That that which uh, is not dead will never die, and in strange no. eons, even death may die, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I got, I got, I got, I got one. I got one now. This is my. They're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As as people can tell, as as listeners can tell, we are keeping on with the the, the classic horror theme. <laughs> let's 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 bring out all the horror references. Yeah. So we had the classic hammer last episode. We'll see what we can bring in for this one. Because th- there's a lot of stuff coming up, particularly with White Mountain, that is particularly horror-like. All right. So let's do, let, let's do a quick, quick recap. So in this novel, there's three main storylines, one of which is slightly surprising and takes you a little bit aback. So we've got the creation, or really it, it's Mortarian struggle on Barbarus to unify the planet and remove the threat of the overlords from the human population we've got the present day present day uh fall of the death guard so currently they are trapped in the warp and they've been afflicted by something who knows what and then we have the surprise storyline which is actually in this second section of the book is probably the strongest of the three uh which is white mountain where malkador has been collecting up lots of sisters of silence which seem to have been well, mind screwed over by Horus and seem to be sending a message about a potential uh, 
peace agreement, shall we say, between the Horizians and the Imperium. I'm sure that's not a trap. No. At least all the characters are aware. But we'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we all agree that we're going to start... Uh, we're going to do this a little bit chronologically, so we're going to start with uh, uh, the party uh, walking along as the mists appear and bring us into Ravenloft. I think that's most fitting. Yep. All right, the mist gathers. Let's do this. Um, all right, where do we... We left off uh, with Mortarian's, uh, I guess, initial rebellions against um, Nakara, uh, Nakara, uh the overlord, his father, uh, his stepfather... Uh, and the High Overlord, the most powerful of all uh, the tyrants on Barbarus. So as we left him last time, he meets Kalis Typhon, uh, saves a bunch of human beings, and uh, him and Typhon manage to escape into the countryside. We find Typhon and Mortarian working the fields on some, uh, you know, sad settlement raid on by the monsters of this death world. Yeah, they're they're living in the stable. The population doesn't really trust them or get them. Uh, they Mortarion is a primarch. He's clearly not human. And Callus Typhon, again, meeting that description that we had from last time, is he's taller, he's wirier. There's rumors that he's a half breed, uh, and there's just there's something about him that people don't like. And uh, in this part of the book, it's kind of there's not a lot going on there up until um there's an attack um callus is trying to get mortarion to come with him to do something mortarion wants to stay in this village because it's the first time he's hearing things like laughter and joy and singing and he's like what are these things um it's did you guys get with with this village did you kind of guys get the the impression it's just like some stereotypical early modern Eastern European wooden buildings, all the men wearing waistcoats. What, what Was it me? They kind of got that kind of classic hammer stereotype oh. of a, a medieval village. No, I, I think you're right on the, you've got it. This is, you know, this is Transylvania. This is, we don't go into the Valley at night. Uh, classic. Yeah. Classic territory of, uh, Oh, yeah, uh, everything is dangerous around us, but during daylight, it's not too bad, right up until they get attacked by zombies. Well, flesh golems. Yeah, so but they get attacked by Frankensteins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but that's only after a certain point, isn't it? So Yeah, and it's it's kind of the the crux point here of... Mortarion feels some form of connection, but he doesn't have a name for it because he has never experienced real kind of emotions or attachment to anything. And he's never really lived among humans. And when they're attacked, it's kind of like he he gets this feeling like this is what he was kind of waiting for. And he goes out into the fields, cracks open one of their combine harvesters, pulls out a threshing blade (laughs) And this is, this is that moment that we have in contrast to when we first were introduced and he's got that falchion. He's like, it's from the battlefield. It'll break. I don't really care. He, (laughs) and again, it's like, 
he pulls out a scythe that was part of a threshing, like a, a gigantic combine harvester, and is like, this feels right. Well, what's interesting as well is the scene that happens before that. It's the reason they're stuck out in the fields as dusk starts to fall and the mist rolling down is a cart collapses onto a young girl, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And they, they, a lot of the villagers, and Typhus himself is saying, leave her, she's dead, the mists are coming, we need to get out now. And it's Mortarian that's saying, no, I can save her. So, you know, we are seeing, I'm not going to say the human side of Mortarian, but we are seeing a slightly emphatic side of it which we don't often get to see, but it is that connection that all the Primarchs do have with humans, that they do feel a sense of some sort of protection towards them to a degree. Definitely. And that that is the theme really for Mortarion in the middle, in the middle second half, second portion of the book, uh, because they fight off the uh, raid and it just kind of goes into like this time skip and eight years later, there's now a new city called Safehold that Mortarian has founded as the kind of centralized hub for his global resistance and campaign against the overlords. And yeah. And it's, it's quite an interesting description, isn't it? Cause you get the idea that this is quite fortified, that this mm-hmm. is way beyond what they were doing previously. And once again, we're seeing that, kind of Primarch intervention, aren't we? We're seeing what they can do to a world when they rise to a level of leadership. We see it with Fulgrim, where he unites all the workers. We see it with Perturabo. We see it with Horus. So it's interesting that Mortarian seems to be following that similar pattern. Yes. And we're even told that, again, in, in these eight years, there is only one, there are only two areas left on the planet that are not under human control now. Uh, one is the Western Marches, and the other is the High Peaks where uh, Nakare has his fortress. And it's also worth pointing out that Mortarian's initial resistance fighters have been named the Death Guard. Yes. they And they do... Uh, uh, sorry, David, gone. I was just say yes. They are the original Unbroken Blades uh, that he refers to in his big speech when he meets up with his Legion. And yep. there's some familiar ah. names in there, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, Rask, right? Um, yep. Who else is in there? God damn it. Uh, Honda Scorval, the Bitter Blood. Yeah, Scorval. In fact, uh, that's actually, we see this very human side of Mortarian because it turns out Bitter Blood is actually a joke that Mortarian makes about Honda. <laughs> um, that that he, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll live through the campaigns because no one would want to eat him because his blood is too bitter. Didn't one of didn't one of the um the flesh columns bite his arm off or something, his hand off? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's got a yeah. prosthetic. But this um, is the yeah. other part that okay, the world building in Barbarous. I could read a whole book series about Barbarous. Mm-hmm. This is one of the better better stories of like a Primarch's background on the, on their homeworlds. There's not a ton of them. But this is definitely my favorite and probably the most detailed. The world building is, ex- is exceptional. Um, one of my favorites is that uh, they, they've made an alliance with, uh, I think they're called the Forge Tyrants. Yep. Uh, and and who actually have all this technology, and but they're they're behaving like a Mechanicum, uh, maybe because they're probably, they're almost certainly a Mechanicum offshoot. So they made a, um, an alliance with them, and that's who's actually producing all their equipment now. 
Um, so they are a, a very powerful force at this point. The Barbaran, uh, Mortarian's uh, Barbaran army, and 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 they're pushing. Yeah, they're pushing back, and it's only Nakari that's still there, uh, uh, mainly because he's his his fortress is so high up that they can't they can't make it all the way up. But Mortarian has a plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just going to mention as well the symbol they've all adopted is what we would recognize as the the, the 14th yes. legion death guard symbol it's it's what we will become very familiar with later on and what's great about it is we actually finally get an explanation of what it represents that it's the the nova is the the sunburst representing great like the freedom and the skull representing the sacrifice uh to to earn it I do like when we get those little touches in that do explain the Legion symbols because they, 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 I mean, that's the entire point of a symbol is to represent something, isn't it? And we don't often get explanations of Legion symbols. So that was quite a nice touch. Yeah. And there's, you know, there are thousands now in this stronghold as well, isn't there? Yeah. We're, we're given the impression that this is, and it's one of those situations where they've kind of, Swallow has actually kind of done it right where, Yes, this was this is the hub of a global campaign. It is very large. Whereas sometimes you get this impression where it's like, I'm a Primarch, I'm gonna conquer a world, but I'm gonna do it with two hundred people and somehow No, this uh this is a professional army at this point. Yeah. yeah. But it's always so interesting to see that Mortarian still has a distance from that population. So when they arrive back in triumph after defeating the penultimate um, overlord, that there's big celebrations and, you know, that everyone's welcoming them back. But he's uncomfortable with the adoration which is being thrown at him. He's trying to deflect that onto the Death Guard. Yeah, he's he's got this attitude of we're not done yet that he he understands but he has trouble actually feeling like those emotions are worthwhile until they're actually done with their task which is why like when he's sitting around sharing drinks with the veterans of the campaigns he has trouble connecting at that level with them Uh, it is though the first time we get to see the example of the cups uh, uh, one yes. of the Death Guard mm-hmm. traditions that we that we learned about in Flight of the Eisenstein, where it's basically these veterans of the campaigns sitting around in a tavern getting drunk, and Mortarian complaining that it's not strong enough and taking up literal poison, and be like, "Let's try this." Well, no, he, what he does is uh, the, the, uh, one of them makes like a still to to make what I assume like some gin or vodka or something like that, and and but it's it, it's moonshine. It's moon. Okay, that's moonshine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, um, uh, and of course there's a bunch of filters in it. So he actually goes and, and removes the filter and takes like the pure, you know, the, 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 the pure material, the unfiltered, probably like a hundred proof minimum, um, alcohol from it. It's like, let's drink this. Like that's literally poison. That's literally yeah. poison blood. So I like that though. I like that. <laughs> um, one of the weird thoughts I had when I was reading it was because we know that a bunch of these people do end up joining the Death Guard and becoming Space Marines, we know that the the people of Barbarous are very hardy. It makes them more likely to accept the Gene Seed. But that also means that like they can't actually be all that old at this point 
if they're still young enough to take the gene seed successfully when the emperor shows up. So these like veterans of these campaigns, they can't be more than what, early 20s, late teens? Yeah, they've got, the, be, uh, they've, yeah, got to be early teens, about 13, 14, haven't they? Yeah. The emperor has made it happen before. I mean, he turned he turned Corferon into a space marine. Well, like, no, Corferon no, is uh, uh, not yeah. actually a space marine. He's more like a cyborg, isn't he? Yeah, him and uh, him and Luther. But there's been older. Yeah, Luther. Luther's another one. There's there's been a few that they're that, not uh, actually they're not actually Marines. They're Luther's enhanced Marine. humans. Luther's not a Marine. Nope he does no. not have he does not have the gene seed. He does no not. No way, got, really? I yeah, know that. they've right. got they've got they've got the equivalent of like the best genetic modification and rejuvenate treatment and cybernetic modification. That, Was that in Descent of Angels? Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember that bit, Lu- but that was a Luther, while ago. Let's admit. Yeah. Yes. But like, it's why Corferon um, doesn't get as much respect from the other word bearer commands uh, in uh, uh, Mark of Kalth and fear and uh, no, no fear. Um, Luther is often described as being shorter than the rest of the dark angels because he's not actually in Astartes. Hmm. Uh, and so the, like it, it goes back to the, that, yeah, this is a death world that the adults are not, what we would consider modern, you know, adults. They're adults for a very dangerous, deadly world in society. But we do get a very, very good entrance by Typhon at the yes. Typhus at this stage, don't we? Oh, and and so this is one of these amazing steampunk moments that we get in the 40k universe sometimes. Uh, it is yeah, it is it is so over the top in all the good ways. And it's so Typhus, it's so similar to his arrival at the beginning of the book. It's a really good mirror. So if we remember in the first section, Typhus's fleet just emerges out of the warp, doesn't it? And just heads straight for the planet. Mm-hmm. Here we have Typhus and his element of the Death Guard, because he was campaigning in the Western Marches, appear back at the Stronghold with a bunch of steam-powered airships. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> and it's got the Death Guard sign painted on the side as well, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, you don't want to be shot down. I don't know, this reminded me, uh, you guys watched the show, not a lot of people did, but the show Carnival Row. Um, that, I'm it was aware on of uh, that. HBO, right? Uh, it was... No, no, that's not Amazon, I think. Amazon. Carnival Row was Amazon. the one with yeah, the... The fairies in Victorian England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I haven't watched. Honestly, I've, I've heard a about pretty it. good show. And there's one flashback episode because uh, there was a, a lot of the backstories. There, there was a war uh, between um, the humans and the fairies. Uh, not between them. They were allied against this other like religious cult kind of thing that turns into ver- werewolves. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. There's one flashback episode. The whole episode is 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 about uh, the war and. I think they're called the Pact or something like that. It's pretty Warhammer. Um, and they have like these airships. Uh, just look up the airship scene, uh, uh, Carnival Row. Anybody out there? Because most people did not watch that show, even though it was very good. Also, feel free to steal it. Raise the black. Fuck Jeff Bezos. Uh, <laughs> like, don't f- never feel guilty. Oh man, maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't put this out. Um, for for legal purposes. For legal purposes, do not steal from Jeff Bezos. He. <laughs> <laughs> he he needs the 15th story on his house <laughs> um but anyways uh that's what it reminded me of but if you haven't seen it it really is not helpful but uh, yeah the, again the the whole barbarous thing, this is the best part of the book 
and <laughs> I feel like it shouldn't be, but clearly, uh, uh, well, uh, I was having so much fun writing this, and the world building is, is, is exceptional. It's so cool. This is what we should have had for a Primark novel. Fundamentally, this is what we should have had as a Primark novel for Mortarian. Well, it I feel like it does all the good stuff that like the early Warhammer writing and lore did, where it's like, here's something over the top, really cool. We're going to give you just enough information to get you interested and get your imagination going, but we're not going to give you too much. We're not going to over-explain things, and we're going to leave things up to you to imagine to get you thinking about where would where would you fit in? What would you do with this sandbox? But getting back to Typhon's arrival, um, he's not arrived by himself, has he? He's brought a distinguished guest with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually well, captured... oh, 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 it's 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 important to note that uh, uh, at this point um uh mortarian uh wants to he shows everybody his plan mortarian has a plan um uh and and so typhon shows up and he brings everybody okay this is how we're going to defeat Dakari. um and he brings everybody to the the forge tyrants workshops and shows them tyrant armor <laughs> um, Which the description when you read the description carefully sounds like mark six yeah, yeah. well yeah yeah the corvus play but of course that makes sense because again this is uh, uh this is you know medieval horror gothic horror so you have to have the plague uh the, the you know um, the plague surgeon mask right the mm-hmm. yeah which is and this is this is not the hill i will die on but it's definitely the small bump of land i will i will vigorously defend okay mark six plate for death guard looks really really good if it's dirtied up appropriately because it's got that plague doctor plague surgeon mask look to it it fits with that kind of just like anonymous death coming towards you it looks really i honestly think it looks second best compared to the mark two mark three Honestly, I think Mark IV is the thing that Death Guard just doesn't look good in. I must admit that's a hot take. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I agree, but why not? <laughs> I think what, I, what about I, I think I would like Mark. to see the uh the 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 Mark VI helm, so the Plague Doctor helm on maybe like a Mark II or a Mark III. Maybe that would look really cool. With Anvilus backpacks. With mm. yes, that's that's a given. I, I will that's good. The Anvilus backpack is probably one of the best features you can have because it fits so well with the original Plague Marine sculpts. Yeah, absolutely. And the Forge World ones too. Uh, the for, the old uh, the old uh, Vrax era uh, Death Guard uh, uh, Plague Marine sculpts. Yeah. Um, I I converted all of mine like years ago uh, with the old Chaos, uh, Chaos Marine plastic kit. Mm-hmm. Looks fantastic. Just look perfect. But they don't have it. But getting back to Mortarian and his assault on the the upper reaches, as we'll refer to them, um, there's not enough of this armor to go around, is there? They ha- how many suits are there? Uh, seven, including Mortarian's massively oversized one. And so the whole uh, Mortarian's whole plan, and they have ob- obviously breathing apparatuses and everything like that, all built because which, of the, which al- like, the alliance with the forge, with the forge uh, tyrants. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. They're like steam-powered pumps, aren't they? It's like I know. It's so cool. Steampunk. Yeah. yeah. It's it's. You can imagine this kind of huge suction device going off on it, and this this chugging sound coming from them. 
one thing we should mention because it comes up, it's again, one of those parallels between past and present for the death guard is um, when, when Typhon gets back, Mortarion is like, it's my brother Typhon. I'm so pleased to see him, but he kind of looks a little different and I can't quite put my finger on it. And very much mirroring that same impression he got when Typhon returned with his section of the Death Guard Legion at the beginning of the book, that Typhon tends to go off, lead his own campaigns, and come back with something just a little little different, a little stranger. And, and it's also interesting, people's reactions to Typhon's return. They're really happy he's brought his warriors and his new supplies and the airships, they're not congratulating Typhon directly. Yes. And it's this weird... And again, I think it might go back to what you're saying about, like, Primarchs have this thing about them that they're clearly not human, but people are kind of okay with that. Whereas with Typhon, he looks more human than Mortarian, but again, there's that... that brotherhood of exiles thing where there's people don't view him the same as everyone else and mortarion is willing to give him a much bigger benefit of the doubt than everyone else yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because i think like you say it's that brotherhood between them they're both outcasts amongst their own society but we we've had it mentioned before in numerous stories and I, I know i've heard it spoken about by authors of heresy weekend that primarchs have this aura that they can dial up and dial down depending on the situation and that's what attracts people to them that there's still that human connection between primarch and human whereas because typhon is not entirely human but effectively he's part of xenos there is just that uncomfortable reserve and the fact he's a he's a psyker and that always sets people on edge, even when people aren't aware they're psychics. It's mm -hmm. that kind of similar concept that we've had before with blanks, where people feel very uncomfortable around them. Yeah. And that actually makes for a good transition to what the Death Guard are up to in the modern era, where they're stuck in the oh, warp. Well, we need to finish off Typhon's off-counter offer. <laughs> that's, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I got so excited for the... Uh one of these big scenes that's coming up. I see Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause Mortarian has his steam powered power armor. Very good plan. I like the plan. Uh, yeah. I mean, let, let, let's assault an entire fortified location with seven people. One of which is uh, a Primark. To be seven fair. people, including a Primark in yeah. steampunk power armor. Well, let's five, remember five that humans. bit. Yeah. Five humans, one, a semi Xenos witch and a Primarch. <laughs> like set up for a bad joke. Yeah. Just, just, I'd love to see, to see that as a kill team. <laughs> <laughs> but, and Typhon basically turns out and says, that's a stupid plan. <laughs> Which he has done in the present on numerous occasions as well. Turned around and gone, yeah, we're not doing it like that. that, that that's a stupid plan. We know. Here's my counter officer our offer. In my airship, I have one of the um, overlords. He can teach us how to 
effectively, and he never uses a word, but those of us who are versed in 40K law know, the overlaw can teach us to access the warp. That's going to be a much stronger ally than anything we can manufacture ourselves. How does Gortarian react? Well, first of all, uh, Typhon clears the room, right? So it's just him and and Mortarian before he shows him uh, the prize. Um, He's in a cage, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's in a cage under a tarpaulin. And... At this point, it's clear that it's just like a weird vampire. <laughs> they're, they're fighting vampires. There's some various uh, various Max Shrek imagery going on there. Yeah, it's so like, they oh, got yeah. like bulbous bodies and like thin heads, but they're clearly like... It's the original Nosferatu film, the silent mm-hmm. Nosferatu film. A little bit, That's yeah. That's the impression on yeah, with, with like gangly limbs and stuff. And um, uh, what's it? Uh, Dark City. The... Oh, such a good oh, film. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. So Good it's call. like it's it's like the the love child of the tall of the, the tall men from Dark City and and the Delac too. Yeah, <laughs> the Delac. I don't care what anyone says. The Delac. <laughs> so uh, they clear the room and 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 uh, uh, yeah, it's like we can access uh, these dark magics. I mean, the Overlords can survive in the mists. Um, they're using things to make them make that possible. We should be able to trans and the golems, right? The flesh golems, they can. They can survive in the mists, and Mortarian's like, "Well, yeah, but they, you know, they're they're soulless automatons." It's like, "Well, mm-hmm. if you if if you said it, if you said it, ask for volunteers to become our own golems, golems, if you ask for volunteers to become good golems, you would get volunteers." Mortarian knows it. Yeah, yeah. What kind of sick individual would offer up their own people to be made into soulless warriors for the rest if of their life? If they could win the war. <laughs> <laughs> like permanently end the war you get volunteers and this is though where we get to see that Mortarion in many ways is more human than Typhus because he's just like no that's not gonna happen never speak of it again and the only reason why your head is still attached is because you're my brother so yeah Typhon's pl- plan was not uh, retained yeah no. it, it is, and it, how does he respond <laughs> Kill him now. If you don't, then you're gonna die. Uh, yeah, or uh, he, um, um, he, yeah, he leaves him alone, and he, yeah, um, you better uh, finish him off. Which technically Typhus does, yeah, he does finish him off, but not but before not having after... a chat with him. Yeah, I was gonna say first of all, and, and it's one of those lovely scene closes, isn't it? Uh, it it's just like that. Like we're gonna have a conversation first. <laughs> Camera zooms in on the thumb screws, fades to black. No, it's uh, it, it, it's it's interesting because clearly by now you see that Typhon understands what's more or less understands what's going on. These are uh, the Overlords are clearly have have the mark of Nurgle. Let's put it that way, mm-hmm. uh, but not so much the they're not so much like the plague side of Nurgle. I mean, they're, they're does Typhus have the mark at this point? I kind maybe. There, this is the thing I like. I like how Swallow is very coy about this. There's a lot of implications that there is a there is a force on Barbarus which is connected to Nurgle, and that force has been guiding or what Typhus has been tapping into, which is how he knew who Mortarian was, how he has kind of this sense of how to go through the swamps and be unnoticed and all that stuff. 
and that he seems to be it's you, you know how we we often and I use the word joke here, but we're very usually actually pretty serious about how the space wolves are in denial and there's the Fenrisian world spirit that they're tapping into, but we all know it's really just the top layer of the warp. It seems like Barbarus has something similar, that there is a, a layer of the warp that is the world spirit of Barbarus that Typhus is tapping into, and that world spirit is very clearly linked to Nurgle. And so it's, it's the, a bit like Prospero's each. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know if it would be there's def, I don't think at this point Typhus has the mark of Nurgle simply because he he there's not enough of that direct warp presence for him to actually like make that deal. But there's that sense of he's he knows there's something deeper that he could be connecting to. And this is partly why he kind of wants to use the overlords and get their knowledge, because he thinks that's the way forward for him. And that's the way forward for Mortarion, because, again, there's that that implication that's never really confirmed that something is telling Typhus that his fate and Mortarion's fate is tied to this greater power, which is responsible for why Barbarous is more like is Barbarous. Yeah, because it, it's really interesting, Typhus's motives behind all of this, isn't it? Because it's, it's never fully defined why Typhus is doing what he's doing. There's this sense of he's looking for power uh, that, and, and he at one point even actually says that in the in the present timeline to Mortarian directly, right? He's doing what they've always been doing, looking for power, for strength. Uh, but there's that sense of, and and this is, Ironically, I'd say there's kind of that weird triumvirate that I'd say would make up Corpheron, Erebus, and, and Typhus, or Typhon, where they, and particularly Corpheron and Typhon, when we learn about who they were before they become Astartes or before they become Legionnaires, they are not powerful. They are on the outside, they're weak, and in fact, um, like Corpheron is basically like a homeless street preacher uh, dragging Lorgar around behind him. And they're, they're, look, they're that kind of classic archetype of our weakness turns into hatred that drives us to find strength. And that strength is then used to oppress others. Uh, and they carry that forward. And so their motivation at the end of it is very kind of almost like, the banality of evil, like like you're looking for some deep intrinsic, like why are they doing this? And the answer is just because no one liked them, and so they're taking it out on the world around them. Yeah, that fits. Yep, that works. So that's where we're going to leave the past, barbarous. So we now know what Mortarian's plan is to take vengeance against his father. I'm sure it'll work out fine. He's got a good plan. And he's got Corvus Plate, so, you know, what else is going to go wrong? Um, shall we move it to the present day Death Guard? Yes. Because where we left them was they've just engaged Gellerfields and entered the warp. But as they entered the warp, everyone was struck down with a contagion, including Mortarian himself, which really shocked him, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So and they become becalmed. So they, yes. they enter the warp and uh, the, the ships aren't moving anymore. The wind is not blowing. They are stuck. Yes. And 
we are now looking at one of those classic, this has always been part of the Horus heresy, everyone knows what's going to happen moments. And so the joy of reading it is kind of seeing the individual reactions, the individual like psychologies of the characters as they're going through this event. Right. This is and what's quite interesting is we mostly see it from two people's perspective, don't we? Mm-hmm. One of which is Mortarian and one of which is his Ekri. Um, is it Morag? Yeah, Morag's his Ekri, yeah. Yeah. We never really see it from Typhon's perspective. We never see it from Legion's perspective. The closest we have for that is uh, a scene between the dreadnought uh, Honda Scorval, Honda Bitterblood, who is one of the original Death Guard from Barbarous, and a newer member of the Legion, uh, Zuriak, who is one of Morar's lieutenants. So let's start with that scene, because that that really starts to unravel a lot, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And it reinforces that there's this sense of paranoia, and even though Mortarion is quick to say, yeah, welcome back, Typhon, I will extend my hand in friendship and I'll use the Terminus S as my flagship. His equerry is nowhere near as trusting and has sent his own lieutenant to wake up uh, the bitter blood to ask what happened, what were they doing during the time that um, Typhus's members of the Legion were away from the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the dreadnought they wake up doesn't appear to have much time for Typhus. No. And that that I thought was interesting, that you have this very storied member of the Legion who's now a Dreadnought, assigned to the Terminus Est, but he doesn't actually like Typhus at all, which kind of makes me wonder how long Morarg has been suspicious and if if this was basically a long-term plant of if I ever need someone whose opinion and who I can trust to tell me what Typhus is getting up to, the bitter blood is my man. And so I'm going to have him stored on the Terminus Est rather than on the Endurance. Similar, because we've seen Dreadnoughts like this before, haven't we? we we've seen them, the original... Um, Oh, the original 12th Legion, the Warhound Dreadnoughts, which is kept on board the Conqueror, uh, for example. Lore? Lore? Yeah, Lore. Oh, no. Yeah. And also yeah. the, the Ultramarines Dreadnought, the one that's, you know, parachuted down on Count. <laughs> Ancient Relinor? No. Yes. No. Uh, no. no, 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 that's uh, Emperor's uh, Relinor. Relinor is another example. Uh, tel- 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 Telemachus. Telemachus. Yeah. Telemachus. Yeah. yeah. And though he he's... He's uh, a newer. He's new to the dreadnought life at that point. But yeah, like like you've got um, Rylanor, who is you know the ancient of rights for the emperor's children, and Lore for who was one of the one of the he was the legion. He was a legion master before Angron showed up. Before Angron murdered the other legion masters. <laughs> yeah, and then. But in this case, it and it's someone who is not he's not Terran, he's not pre-Primarch, but he's he's one of the original Death Guard that Mortarian brought with him to the Legion. So he's very much like 
if there's anyone that where it's like Mortarion would trust, this would be the man. It's also interesting. It's someone that Typhus would be willing to have on board for Terminus Est. Right. And that's why I'm wondering how much of this is kind of like the internal politics of the Death Guard, where it's like, yeah, like, how do you turn down this offer to have this storied, honored member of the Death Guard Legion aboard your ship? That would be really suspicious. So you kind of have to say yes. And then you just keep him down there and you never wake him up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because we do get we do get that sense from um, Flight of the Eisenstein that as much as Mortarion would like to believe that the Death Guard Legion is one unbroken extension of his will, the Officer Cadre definitely has some uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Clicks. Definitely has some clicks. Yeah. So Mortarion fundamentally wants to know what the hell is going on. Yeah, and and uh, so he tasks. He tasks uh, Typhon on it because he knows that Typhon has certain gifts that, you know, they're in the warp. They're trapped in the warp. Maybe he has some insight into what could possibly go on. He still trusts them. Yes. And this is where we get the, the, the kind of the two big scenes that that summarize what's happening. You have the scene between uh, the Bitterblood and Zuriac, and you have the scene between Mortarion and Typhon in what used to be the navigator's quarters. But do we explain uh, uh, what happened in the navigators? Oh uh, yeah, I think we need to fill in the gap of yeah. why they're in the navigator quarters in the first place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, kind of key. Yeah. So yes. if you're trapped in the warp, which of the obvious people you need to get you out of the warp? Well, it's the navigators. They're genetically bred to navigate you. Literally, the clue is in the name. <laughs> so, you know. Sure, they can find a way out. But, but what if they're but, responsible for the yes. bombing? What if you've been betrayed by the navigators? And who's told you you've been betrayed by the navigators? Well, your well, your your trusted brother, your comrade in arms, or someone who you've fought alongside and bled alongside for, for <laughs> decades. By this point, mm-hmm. your first captain. <laughs> who See, happens to have a pouch full of data crystals that he said he found in their quarters with, yes. mess, with then, orders from the sigillite. And then yes. Mortarian's Mortar- Mortar- like, yeah, I don't know if I believe it. Oh, we can't risk not killing them right now. And he kills them all. He yeah. has his agents, his grave wardens on every ship and immediately um, gives the signal to uh, kill all the navigators on every single Death Guard ship. And even the, <laughs> right before Mortarian was like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I believe you. So, well, we can't take that risk. Yeah, cl- clearly Typhon won that initiative role. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ty- Typhon is just tells him, you know, well, my my guys, my boys, my my librarians can 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 navigate the ships. Don't worry about it. He's like, well, well yeah, I think so the navigators. I don't really have a choice a now, little, do I? Yeah. He's a little more coy than that, act, which is one of which is he, we get to see him playing Mortarion. That he we we. We know that at this point, Typhus has taken the mark of Nurgle. He's a powerful psyker. He's been training the Grave Wardens, and they are basically his little coterie of Nurgle worshippers. But he's very subtle with like, don't worry, we don't need navigators. I'll take care of it. I'm cunning, right? It's me, your boy, Typhus. I come up with the plans, and I know stuff, and I... Don't ask questions. And Mortarion, 
just kind of goes with it. Yeah. And I think it's also worth pointing out that we have seen what happens if a ship tries to get away. Because when they were originally becalmed, one of the Death Card frigates, I think it is, does try to make a break for it. And as soon as they try to disengage their warp engines, the ship basically explodes. So it's a very strong warning to the rest of the fleet. Yeah, maybe we should stay here till we figure a safe way out. Yeah, yeah. And considering they're on their way to the siege, they really can't afford to lose entire ships full of Death Guard. But it's that 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 initial conversation that was what gets Morag suspicious and sends has him send Zuriak to wake up uh, the bitter blood. And then later on, you get a more personal conversation in the navigator's quarters when Mortarian is actually like, wait a minute, what is Typhus actually doing? Like, I, I, I trust him, but trust but verify. So which scene do we want to cover first? Because they're very different. Uh, I think we need I think we need to do them, the Mortarian Typhus scene first because the Apothecarian scene is one of the greatest moments in this book. <laughs> yeah. No yes. doubt. All right, let's do that. So... Mortarian eventually gets like realizes that trust but verify because Typhus is cunning, but he's not a navigator. So what is he going to do? So he goes to find Typhus and he learns that Typhus is currently in the navigator's quarters and he goes to confront him and he's stopped by one of the grave wardens. And this is again, one of those, those little, those little moments where Mortarian realizes that Things are not quite right because it's a member of his legion telling his Primarch no, which doesn't really happen. And I think the last time we saw this was the Dark Angels and the lion took the guy's head off. And Mortarian is actually a little more patient. He's like, uh, what? And the Grave Warden realizes he's he's kind of made a mistake. He lets Mortarian in and we get this description of what we again as the readers clearly recognize is some form of ritual with bloodletting and all that stuff that typhus is in the middle of and mortarian just realizes that this is some form of witchcraft and he's not happy which gives us one of these great scenes between these two characters which really gets into the their relationship where typhus like you you've always known what i am You've always known that I've had this connection. You've always been very happy to just kind of ignore it and let me deal with the fact that there are psychers in the Legion. There was the librarius in the Legion. I took care of all of that so you could pretend it didn't exist. Right? I've always done the dirty work so that you could pretend that you had no truck with the warp. Meanwhile, you're keeping a living virus bomb demon thing in your personal shuttle. You're a massive hypocrite. Just let me do my work. It's worth it. It's what we've been working towards. It's what we are fated for. We are near the end game. Everything's coming up. Typhus and Mortarian. And Mortarian is not swayed, but he is effectively browbeaten by this in that it's it's, it's not a lie. Everything Typhus is saying is true, which is what makes it so dangerous. And we get that moment of just like, Mortarion has always been willing to use the weapons of his oppressors against them with this idea that when he's won, he'll throw them all out, except he's never actually won. Like, 
He didn't conquer Barbarus. The Emperor finished it off for him, so he never had a chance to really throw out all the tools of the overlords. And he's using the Legion, he's using the, the tools and gifts that the Emperor gave him, and the Emperor's not dead yet. So when Typhus is like, I'm just going to keep doing what you you have always done, deal with it, Mortarian doesn't really have a, a rational leg to stand on at that point. And he kind of just goes off in a huff. Yeah, I mean, he really does, doesn't he? I mean, but we've seen Typhon do this before. Earlier on in today's episode, we were talking about how he tells Typhus to kill the overlord and then just leaves and assume it's done. So often we have Mortarian trying to impose his authority, get challenged by Typhus, and then Mortarian just leaves. Yeah. We, we, we've had this happen quite a few times yeah it's it's one of those things where i i can't tell if it's just lazy writing where it's like mortarion needs to trust typhus so we're just going to kind of write around it or if it is something that is supposed to be more reflective of mortarian psychology that this is a like he, he kind of chose typhus to be his friend and he refuses then to question his own decision which is a very emperor thing to do. Yeah. I've made my choice. There's no way this is wrong. There's no way this could go poorly. So that's that's kind of where their relationship is up up until for for really the rest almost the rest of the book and the rest of the heresy of Typhus just kind of being like I'm doing what's best for both of us. And by both of us, I mean me. And I'm kind of dragging you with me because you're my, my tool. Um, again, there's that, there's that almost again, that triumvirate relationship of Erebus and, and Corferon for the word bearers and, you know, kind of how they manipulate Lorgar. And then you've got Typhus for how he manipulates and uses Mortarian where, and this goes back to that, you know, from last episode, the buried dagger, right? The the dagger that you've buried, you've hidden for later. You get this impression that Typhus specifically was the agent on that world for who, whichever Primarch ended up there. Mm. For because we we know from other books that the Chaos Gods were playing the long game, that they set up certain things during the diaspora, during the scattering of the Primarchs with specific intents. And we know that that in some of those got messed up, right? We know like um, Fulgrim and the Khan were actually supposed to be on, um, like Fulgrim was supposed to end up on um, Chogoris, Khan was supposed to end up on Chemos, um, that uh, other factors were put in place for, for who ended up where, and that they were setting up cults and lodges um, in certain areas of the galaxy to, to take advantage of where Primarchs ended up, which is one of those interesting things where, so it's goes back to that earlier question of how much did Typhus know he was going down this path once he was on Barbarus versus once he got out into the wider galaxy and found evidence of, you know, a galaxy spanning, warp presence that he could only hint get hints of on Barbarous. 
No, it's intriguing. So, it's an intriguing question. I, I I think you're right that there was just Typhon. It, it, so would you say that Typhon is the Barry Dagger? He's definitely one of them. Uh, Actually, that's a bit better question. I I think he might be at the end of the day. Well, so I I, I can't talk about the rest of it because we haven't talked about the rest of the middle yeah, section yeah, yeah, of the book. Right. Wait, there's 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 there's. But wait, there's more. Yes, yes. If we want to go full circle on our on uh, connecting everything to dealing with swamp creatures, uh, there's layers to this, like an ogre. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's more. And so why don't why don't we we let's let's have our our zombie. Fawn. Let's put a pin in it. Let's put a pin yep. in it. Yep. All yep. right. Let's 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 finish off Death Guard, and then we'll go on to the the uh, the main event for this section. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, so Zuriac goes and wakes up Bitterblood, and they're just having a, a conversation, basically, like, what was Typhus up to? And while they're talking, Bitterblood, again, he's a dreadnought, he he has a sensor, an Auspex system, and he's monitoring Zuriac's life signs, basically, just by habit, and he starts noticing that... Um, like your heart rate is up, your temperature is increasing. And... Zuri just passes out like he has yep. a fit, and you know bitter blood does you know does the smart thing he he calls in a contagion. It's, um, it's not just um, passing out though, doesn't he? Just throw up this really thick black bile. Yeah, and suddenly he sees a bunch of sores that seem to kind of be in a, in a triple pattern kind of thing. Yes, yes, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty. Na- it's pretty nasty. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, he he's vomiting up maggots. The maggots are immediately hatching into flies. Yeah. And he's covered and he's covered in in again the triclustered boils. Uh and so he's he's brought to the apothecarian. The section of the sh- of the ship is sealed off. Um they they do full decontamination. Yeah, they, I was going to say they put in put in full contagion protocols, don't they? Because there's servitors in that area as well, aren't they? Of who obviously maintain the dreadnought chassis and they just yeah. melt yes and it's, it's, it's not just they don't even just kind of kill over with high temperature and fever they are lit the flesh on the surfaces is literally melting off them yes. it's like that scene in raiders of the lost ark where they activate the arc at the end and the in gestapo ways, guy's face melts that's definitely the pace but uh for for those nature heads out there what this reminded me of was basically um, if you if you took fungus breaking down wood in a bog, and you fast forward it, and you get that very very odorful, almost like black goo, it reminded me of that. And fast forward, um, it is very potent odor. Uh, but yes, yes, just flesh melting off. Everything just there's the, what is the word? Swallow likes the word sloth. Slothing off, yes. Yes. Uh, and we then we transition to the the main the main apothecary and on board the terminus est. And we we know that there are reports of this happening all throughout the fleet, that um marines are being stricken down, and any mortal member of the crew again just melts. And so Mortarian decides to go have a look for himself. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, Well, it's probably not a great idea. Like, oh, I'm I'm Mortarian. What could happen to me? I'll be fine. Yeah. Don't and worry about it. um 
we have uh, the apothecary Croesus who's been investigating, it, and he's the, he is classic, classic horror film scientist who is more enamored by what he's study studying. Mm. Like, like here's here's a thing that can melt the flesh off someone's bones. We should be terrified. And he's just like, oh yes, uh, yes, my my lovely samples of of plague. Um, you know, he's uh, yeah, like the. Uh... Uh, um, oh, there's a lot. There's like a million good examples. Yeah. Reminds me of uh, Doctor Frankenstein from uh, Day of the Dead. The yeah. guy, well, the guy that they nicknamed Doctor Frankenstein, the guy that's doing all the experiments on the zombies. It's yeah. like I don't think I don't think you're taking this seriously. Yeah, no, and he's like, this is this is like this is the platonic virus. It's it's every virus ever. <laughs> At which point, Morton's like, that's physically not possible. He's like, yeah, I know. It's probably the warp. And, again, and I love this. Of, uh, I love how they go to the classic 40k trope of yes yeah, for warp. Yeah. <laughs> well, it goes. It kind of goes to that at this point because because this is the apothecary of the terminus est. It's that everyone on Typhus's ship is probably a member of his larger cult at this point, his warrior lodge. So yeah, even the even the apothecaries are like disease is awesome this is cool we know what the warp is and it's the fact that the, the medicaid servitors they keep having to replace them because they're melting yeah and and um Zuriak is described as like he it's it's horrifying for mortarian because it's a corpse left to rot for months but he's still alive which was yeah it is that it is like particularly you could imagine a John Carpenter special effects guy team on it. It's very thing like, isn't it? Yes. Some of these parts. I'm now. more thinking He's... of uh, Return of the Living Dead uh, when they strap the half uh, dismembered uh, uh, zombie to the table and ask, like, why do you need brains? And it's like, I can feel myself rotting. You guys, you guys ever seen Return of the Living Dead? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's that very much foreshadows what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Mortarian um, says, let himself in. Um, so he probably shouldn't go in there. No, I'll, I'll be fine. I'm Mortarian. Um, and talks to, to to the zombie. And yeah, it's like, it, it really is. You know. to, be, to be fair, though, even Mortarian puts a helmet on first. He does. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes. He is, he is he, taking some precautions. He, he does. Um, and, and the thing is that initially, this isn't, we keep using the phrase zombie, but at this point, he, he he's not technically a zombie yet because he's, it's more, he's, He's in a body that shouldn't be alive, but it hasn't died yet, and it's still Zuriac. And Zuriac is like, "I want you to kill me. This is this is terrible." Um, yeah. Do you want and, the Emperor's peace? Yes, yes, please. Which connects to, and this is actually something from the past scenes on Barbarous when he, we we skipped over this. Is actually this actually ends up being really important. Actually, um, Mortarian takes the reaping equipment to help defend the village. Later on at Safehold, when he returns, he's announced as the Reaper of Men. And you get this moment where you realize, wait a moment. When we're introduced to Mortarion in the context of the Horus heresy, no one is surprised that he went with Horus because everyone's like, oh, he's the, you know, he's the Grim Reaper. He's the Reaper of Men. He, you know, da-da-da. Right? This idea of, of death as this serial killer. Whereas here, it's Reaper of Men in the possessive form of he is man's reaper men 
are who he reaps for, right? That he he is their reaper. He's their monster. He's in their corner. He's reaping for them. And yeah, so it's the difference in the inflection, isn't it? Yes, and and so, which is why, like he he he's got that title even at the beginning of the great when he's when he first enters the Great Crusade that you know he's he's in mankind's corner, and so here we get that we get that parallel of he's death, but he's the death that you get in Blue Oyster Cult. He's the death you get in Terry Pratchett. He's the he's the cessation of suffering. He's the cessation of pain. He's the beginning of what comes next after life gets a little too much. But he doesn't do a very good job here. No, and we, this is <laughs> this is perfect horror movie material. Um, he he takes his knife. He stabs. No, he ta- he but takes Murag's um, knife, actually. Isn't yeah, it? he actually takes Murag's knife, doesn't he? So he actually yeah. takes one of his his Equi's knife, and he goes in. He euthanizes Zuriak. He turns around to leave when he hears something behind him. Yeah, some rustling oh. and yep. some Michael Myers kind of slowly. Yep. Actually, it's not slow. He literally like jets back into life, pulls the knife out. And 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 the and, knife melts. The knife, yes. the knife blade, literally melts, doesn't it? On, on it, it yes. rusts away. Which, considering it's probably ceramite, says something about what this disease is doing to everything around it. Well, so I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of of the massive metallurgy nerddom that is ceramite and whether or not it rusts, because that is. That is an argument that takes like two hours to cover. Um, but it's a well, okay. So we're not going to cover yeah. that today, but in the next episode, it's your darkest learning index. David's yeah, going to come back and explain wow. this. Because it, it, what's really funny is it, it actually it started with, it started with a conversation among, uh, on a painting forum, because you've got the classic look of, of weathering on power armor with rust, especially on like the, the Iron Warriors. And basically someone at one point was like, wait a minute, would ceramite actually rust? And then that led into a massive debate on whether or not ceramite would rust based off of what is actually regard never mind. But basically the, the important knife thing rusts is through. that Nurgle makes it rust, and that's yes. the problem. It yes. makes things it's the warp. It's, it's the, the warp. warp. <laughs> <laughs> the warp did it. Yes. Some somehow, some way, rust returned, and the knife is gone. And this is now where we actually have the true zombie Astartes, the the first real plague marine. And what te- is terrifying the most about this Tamortarian is that unlike his other interactions with warp entities that have possessed bodies or possessed corpses. He seems to intuitively know, again, through that weird connection that Primarchs have to their sons, this is not a warp creature. This is not something possessing Zuriak's body. This is Zuriak's decaying soul trapped in a body that will not die. Yeah, it takes it to a different level, doesn't it? And yeah. even and at that point, even Mortarian backs out the room, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, he... And it goes to this idea of we... 
we know Mortarian feels fear. Um, he's talked about it in the past. And here we literally see him flee in terror. That this is all of his nightmares in one. It is something that is laying low the might of the Astartes with absolutely no effort. It is something that is destroying one of his sons that he can do nothing to prevent. And it is doing so in a way that seems to almost mock all of their normal strengths and traditions. Oh, and it's from the warp. Yeah. <laughs> Takes every box in a Mortarian trigger zone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that kind of, that wraps up the, the death guard for the, the second chunk of the book uh, that not, not a lot happens but there are these few key moments that that are like, okay, yeah, we see what's happening here. We kind of see we're starting to see kind of how we how are we gonna get Mortarian to break, right? How how you, are we gonna use yeah. the strengths against him? And you very is, much get the impression this this is a scene set for a final section, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, and it, it's terrifying, and and uh, 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 because this is happening all over the fleet. Yes, uh, and and there's one maybe uh, uh, to close it off there, but like there's there's one really haunting bit, which is one of the ships panics and tries to, because um, clearly this was happening all over uh, all over that ship, mm-hmm. uh, uh, zombies and uh, um, you know people being stricken down and servitors melting, um, and 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 one of the ships. Like a straight up uh, panics and tries to uh, return to real space without a navigator and implodes. Yes, and this is they they already knew the risk. Like they they yeah. they were like we would rather risk it and probably die horribly screaming in the warp than r- deal with whatever is happening on that ship. And these are Death Guard. Let's yeah. be clear about this. I can see this happening to Ultramarines, but the yeah. Death Guard aren't supposed to. Uh, to, to be phased by these horrors they're from mm-hmm. barbarous right like these these are these are the ones who they fought vampires for a decade there's there's two legions that stand out as fighting like the most horrific stuff in the great crusade one is the iron hands and specifically they fought the terrifying like ai tech monsters and then you had the death guard who fought pretty much everything else well, there's the Iron Warriors with the Hrood. Yes, but I mean, even there, like they're not—they're terrifying because of the intro, like the entropy thing. But they're not like—they're not the deep terror monsters from deep from like beyond. Like all the Rangdang, yeah, the Rangdang are in a category right. all by themselves. Yes, and and we have to remember that the Death Guard fought them. Like the the yeah. Dark Angels get a lot of the credit, but we are told yeah. that that one of the major legions. Basically, the reason why there was time for the Dark Angels to get there is that the Death Guard held the line. That's true. That is true. The Death Guard also fought corn demons at one uh, at one point, like mm-hmm. juggernauts. Yeah. Uh, that 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 comes up in uh, when Mortarian is giving his testimony at the Council of Nike- Nikea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we literally fought corn demons once. Uh, yeah, the Death Guard got it really rough. So if they panic, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, we're not saying that the other legions aren't courageous. But the Death Guard, if this is happening, if the Death Guard are panicking, this is some messed it's, up shit. Yes. It's it's less of a fact they're panicking. It's more of what they're panicking about. 
isn't it? It, it? It's not just an attack on the Legion. It's an attack of a very strength of the Legion that they can't defend themselves against. Mm-hmm. Things that should not be possible are happening. Yes. The most grotesque uh, uh, horrors imaginable. Talking of which, let's talk about Malkador. <laughs> oh. oh. So. We... Yeah, we've we've transitioned from the existential body horror of zombie films to the intellectual horror of the I don't know would it be like a a, a mastermind horror movie like like what do you what do you call a movie like the the Saw movies or like well Saw movie um, is just torture porn I think that's well I'm like not what's the other like maybe like the the original this Friday is psychological movie. this is psychological horror. This would be yeah. fit into the psychological horror category. Yeah. Of, of, of people with no control over... Anyways, we'll get to it. But it's we'll, also we'll terrifying. This is also a horrifying Dance, bit. puppets, dance. <laughs> oh, because, well, let's, let's... White Mountain. So, White Mountain is Malkador's secret psychic prison. And where we left it in the last episode is the Knights Errant, when they've been doing various different missions around Terra, have been finding captured sisters of silence and those sisters of silence have all been speaking random words but it was only when rubio and a strike team captured several together that their voices merged together to say about this proposed peace agreement between horus and the emperor Mm -hmm. and it's directed at malkador i think this is quite significant it's directed at malkador now it's significant for a couple of reasons one, because it's not directly appealing to the Emperor himself. And two, it's going to the second most powerful person on Terra, who we have seen before from the Great Crusades, well, from the Unification Wars, has strongly influenced the Imperium's direction and yes. the Emperor himself. Those Sisters of Silence have been deposited into the White Mountain, which is a secret location only known to Malkador and his chosen. Um, Shockingly, Loken is there. Who would have thought Loken would turn up at something that would be so key and important? Hmm. Well, uh... I think one of the interesting things to point out, though, is as blanks, the sisters should be immune to any psychic interference. Mm-hmm. So and... the, there's a suggestion whatever happened has to have been done psychologically rather than psychically. Yes, and Loken actually thinks that's probably why Malkador had him deployed there. Is because, as far as as far as anyone knows, Loken is the only Space Marine who's ever suffered massive psychological trauma. Like like, the whole Cerberus thing was just he. So he would have a, a degree of understanding or possibly empathy for what these Sisters of Silence have gone through. Yeah, we should also note the White Mountain is one basically psi emitter that brings down all psychic ability within its area. Yes, and to give everyone an idea of how strong it's supposed to be, it was designed to imprison Magnus the Red. Yeah, I mean, this is where they were going to chain him up before he got put on the throne. Let, let's yeah. be honest, that, that's, <laughs> this is the containment field before you plug in the battery. It also oh. kind of, it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like, huh, I wonder what else they had in terms of backup plans for other Primarchs who would need special uh, consideration. Like, is there some place where it's just a giant vat of eternal acid for Vulcan? Yeah, I don't think they were worried about Vulcan, though. <laughs> no. 
Well, I mean, Conrad. Maybe, actually. And the, this goes back to that idea, of, and we see this with Mortarian, so it is it is relevant, of nature versus nurture and what the emperor expected to find. Because with Mortarian, he expected to find someone more like Jagatai Khan. And there's a great short story, I forget the name of it, where it's, it's um, he has Vulcan with him on a campaign that the Iron Hands are persecuting, but it's before he's given Vulcan his own his legion, right? Oh yes, like, and he's expecting They're fighting Vulcan, Elder. Yeah, and he will, and he's 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 expecting Vulcan to just go in and wreck face, and just, just like murder everyone. And Vulcan's like, why? Like I'm I'm not a killer. I'm a blacksmith. Why why would I do this? Like what what is going on here? And that's when the emperor is like, huh, interesting. And he changes his tone very quickly to be like, oh, right. No, I don't need you to be a killer. I need you to be someone else. Is this for sure story when they basically use him as bait and then drop nukes on the enemy force? Yeah. Um, no. M- maybe, actually. I remember it's the Iron Hands are trying to take a fortress. They can't get the gate down. Vulcan it's one is watching massive constructs and Vulcan just takes them out with his hammer. Yes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we're distracted. Sorry. Let's get back to White Mountain. Yeah. So. Um, but basic, basically, yes. So you've got this massive, massive, very powerful side dampening, side emitting, side prison. They're putting more blanks into it. Um, Loken is there. There's a tech priest there who's running the operation. And... Garrow and his team minus Rubio. Is it, is it a tech priest? Because I have the impression it was just a random scientist. That's actually a very good point. You're right. I, 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 did, think... I did the classic fallacy of assuming that just because someone knew their stuff, they were a tech priest. But you're right. This is actually yeah, just it, a it, um, scientist from Terra. Yeah. And it's, it's one of ones. Everyone in White Mountain works for Malkador. They don't work, and I think it's really important to stress that they don't work for the Imperium. They work for Malkador. They're one of his chosen, and therefore they're privy to things that most people don't want to know about. And this and is an, shouldn't know about. This is an excellent parallel for both sides of the war have a group of people like this. And that goes back to what we were talking about with, with Typhus being kind of like the... Typhus is manipulating Mortarion. And he's kind of the one who does all the dirty work that Mortarion doesn't really want to know about. And we've got Erebus, and we've got Corphoron, and we've got all of these other people who do that for the Primarchs, who do that for Horus. Malkador is the guy who does it for the Emperor. This is... Yes, absolutely. The, the scientist is Bren. Um, I've just found a description. So she comes from the Saturnine populations and she's actually got um emitters around her that can that reduce her weight or increase her weight because where she grew up in saturn she's got a completely different bone density because of lower gravity and on earth she would just collapse yeah so she's, she's got um, the, these whatchamacallit like from the expanse a belter right she's a low gravity yeah. low she's like low grav world inhabitant earth would crush her nice little touch there we don't hear much about Saturn, um, but it sounds like it's really cool. Yeah, Saturn and Jupiter, we we would uh, love to hear a lot more about, but that's that's a different point. So, the 
Knights Errant arrive. They deposit their latest prisoner. Um, Garrow's there. We've got... um, Who else is there? The World Eater, Varen, is there. It's pretty Um, much everyone except for Rubio. Yeah, and the problem is Garrow has arrived without specific orders. Yes, he. They've they've deposited the sister of silence that they found on the walking city, and he has no idea what else is going on or what he should be doing. Yeah. Um So he has a delightful conversation with Loken, where it's basically looks like, yep, there's a whole lot of sisters of silence here. If it turns out it's a trap, we're gonna you know execute them all. And Garrow gets really indignant about that, and you get this interesting uh, friction between the two where Logan basically accuses Garrow of being an, an entitled spoiled brat, uh, that he has all this leeway that no one else in the war has, uh, that Garrow can pretty much go and do whatever he wants, he can throw off any orders he wants, and not everyone has that. And Garrow's like, well, I would, I would, never, I would never do that. And he's like, and Logan kind of like gives him the eyebrow, and he's like, well, I would only do that if it was like an unlawful order. And again, Loken kind of gives him the eyebrow. Like, like I do think that's said. also another reason why Loken is there. Is Loken will happily liquidate all of those sisters if he has to? Yeah, because he recognized because of his experience on sixty three nineteen, because of his experience on the Vengeful Spirit, he knows the danger of the warp. Yes, and it's interesting because we have Garrow who, despite being one of the Knights Errant, hasn't had a ton of interaction with the Warp. He's had some, but he hasn't had the real, like, full-fledged demon incursion experience. Well, he had a little bit of a demon incursion on on, on the moon. A little, yeah. And did he fight some zombies on, on, on on the Eisenstein? Yes, but again, he's fought Possessed. Yes, he's that's fought true. the okay, Lord yeah. of Flies. And we'll he's, again. He, mm-hmm. he's never really had, though, after that. And again, we have to remember it's that it's been seven years. Mm-hmm. So he spent most of the war doing missions for Malkador. He hasn't quite had that same unique experience that someone like Loken has had, where and I'm, this is, I know that I know that the um, Garrow book, the siege book that Garrow stars in, didn't get the best reception. But I feel like it. It's also this Wait, is the reason, reason why it exists. It's like Garrow wasn't fighting the same war as everyone else because Garrow was living in his own head. Mm. And that book is basically finally being like, this is the consequence of that. Um, but, and here we see that basically Loken is like, you have been fighting a very different war. You've been given privileges that no one else has. We don't all have that. And you have to be a little crazy to understand what's going on. And you're straight arrow Garrow. You're not crazy enough for this. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, things, things are going to get crazy. So yeah. <laughs> you weren't, you weren't uh, there, man. You haven't seen. Yeah. Um, so the. Uh, so Rubio meets with Malgador, and uh, one of the things Rubio notices is that dude that pitched himself off off the balcony is is alive and well. 
um, and serving them drinks, which is weird. Um, and Malkador won't get pulled into a conversation nope. about that. And I like I like all the scenes in Malkador's uh, 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 space where even the books are kind of like encrypted so that you can't actually read what they say because they got like a cipher on them, like a psychic cipher. So you can't read the words. Um, I also like how they repurposed another of the old Hammer movie tropes of here was a guy who died in an early scene, but because we don't want to hire more extras, he's now also in this scene. <laughs> like, well, they're expensive. Exactly. But I love how they're actually using that to a purpose. Yep. <laughs> Here's a guy who died in the beginning of the movie. Oh, look, he's back as the butler. So Rubio uh, tells Malkador, like, look, uh, we got this message. It's uh, Horace. Uh, apparently it's from Horace. And it says that uh, we should have peace. Um, maybe Horace is looking uh, for a truce. And of course, like, well, it's obviously a trap. Uh, but Malkador's like, what if it isn't? What if yeah. it isn't? It says, well, it's it's not. It's definitely a trap. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Everybody around him is like, it's definitely a trap. So it's like, well, what if it isn't? You got to take that chance. Um, so they, they, I'm 40,000 years old. I've seen everything. Yeah. If this is something new and different, I have to experience it. I think it's fair. But, you know, um, I, I like Malkador here. I think that this is horse is driving on Terra. <laughs> billions <laughs> upon billions of people are about to die. Just, well, even if it is a trap and, and Malkador is killed, like if, I think for Malkador, that would be an acceptable loss um, just for that tiny, tiny little infinitesimal um, chance that maybe uh, the, 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 the horrors of the Siege of Terror could be avoided. Yeah, this is Malkador like at his best. Yeah, the, the, uh, Fundamentally, I think this is one of the best times we see Malkador because we actually see him doing what he's been doing since the creation of the, of, of the Imperium. We see him running that backdoor politics and machinations to create what the Imperium should be and what will be lived by people. But he's happy to do that dirty work to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And he's not afraid to sacrifice people and himself, if necessary, to get through it. Now, to be fair, you could make the argument he's a perpetual he know he he knows he has a chance to come back from this. Yes. So he's, he he can put himself at slightly greater risk than a normal mortal could. And he's also just very he's very sure of himself uh, that even if it's a trap, he can probably get out of it because you have this you have this. Cocksureness of yeah, he's lived for thousands of years. He's the second psychist, second strongest psyker on Terra. He's got Archeatech and Dark Age tech, and they're probably yeah. Like even if it's a trap, he can he can waltz in and waltz out because he's Malkador the Sigilite. It's kind of hard to tell how much he's buying into his own hype. Yeah, maybe. Or but, hard to tell how much he deserves his own hype because we've never seen Malkador unleashed. Correct. We've we've gotten hints. But yeah, I, 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 had... let's let's remember though that um, from what we know from this, everybody's read it. Uh, like um, the reality is, of obviously it's a trap. Uh, but Horace felt that Malkador was dangerous enough to actually uh, to lay that trap for him. Mm-hmm. 
So it, yeah, it's it's a Belvedere is a danger. If it is a trap, it could be completely genuine. We know, don't forget, this novel is set after Wolfsbane. We know Horace has been severely injured. We know there is that duel within his personality. Was this sent by Lupercal rather than Horus? Yeah. Possibly. It does it does play with your mind a little bit like that. It's like, well, what if this was Lupercal resurgent and actually managed to get a peace deal sent out or a peace offer sent out before Horus regained his position as a chosen for gods? Mm-hmm. But let's go into this trap. So they... <laughs> Because everybody knows it's a trap. I like how they didn't. Um, I, I I I respect the story for, I guess, respecting the reader for not implying that it's anything other than a trap. Yeah, everybody knows it, and I like the way they played it. It's just like I know it's probably a trap. It's certainly a trap, but I have to take the chance. And that's where the the real tension comes from. Is okay. Okay, so where what is, is it? the trap going to yeah. be? How is it a trap? It's like you've got a giant mountain full of pariahs. Where, what, how? Because you know the, you can't you can't do any warp shenanigans because a whole mountain full of blanks. You're on Terra, the heart and theoretically most secure place in the Imperium. What? What? How? How is Horus going to do this? Right? He's Horus, but come on, there's Hor- there's like. Strategic genius, yeah. and then so how whatever. Well, the strategic genius, and then there's Horus. So <laughs> how does he pull this off? Because I think I I I did not see the actual trap coming in. I think that's the most fun bit, uh, and I think you're yeah. right. Dave, like it's it's like you're waiting to know what it is. That's the te- yeah. You're, you're totally right. That's the tension. It's like what was the trap? It's and you're, it's that classic line from Star Trek when there's there's a Klingon talking about the Cardassians. He says. It's a trap. They, they always laid a trap within and a trap within a trap. But you could respect them for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there is all this whole thing. I do like when Malkador arrives at White Mountain because he's with Rubio. Mm-hmm. Rubio is going to become important in a few moments' time. And Rubio immediately feels sick because of the amount of side dampeners and the sisters and the, the blanks within that. Malkador seems completely unaffected. Yep. Yeah, well, he's a powerful man. And- we we know that when it comes to Pariahs, like he he basically shrugged off the the complete presence of one, and now we've gotten a mountain fall, and he's like, okay, cool, whatever. There's this discussion. Okay, so Malkador, the scientician, and uh, Rubio descend into the mountain, and the rest of the knights errant are told, you know, watch the watch the entrance, look look yeah. for the trap. Now, what's interesting as well is Malkador does insist initially on going by himself. He says, I'm going to go down alone. And it's Gary who steps up and says, no, you are good. One of us is coming with you. Yeah. And, you know, Malkador and he actually do get into quite an argument about this. And then it's Rubio that steps up and says, oh, I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting because we know... Rubio being a psyker should not want to be anywhere near Blanks. Every time we've had description of Blanks with a psyker, the psyker doesn't want to do anything more than get away from them. So it's interesting, and this is kind of a little bit of foreshadowing, that Rubio steps up and goes, yeah, I'll go with him. It'll be all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the logical choice. So what is the trap then? He, uh, I think it's like one of the Null Maidens. Before uh, we get into the trap, do we want to talk about the 
external incursion that keeps people busy yeah so because this is real this is actually ends up being a trap in three parts and the first part is that external part um and this is you know for for people who have read um wow i'm blanking out on the name praetorian's wrath the one where the alpha legions at pluto praetorian of dawn yeah praetorian of dawn um we know that that the solar system has been infiltrated by Horus loyalists. And now we see that they've made it to Terra, that you have entire groups deploying via airship to the White Mountain to try to kill everyone. Plus, we know there was traitor loyalists. I mean, and we know this later on from Siege of Terra, but we know there are hives working for the war master as well mm-hmm. the arcadian mm-hmm. free fighters yeah yeah Such like, cool this bit. is really nice foreshadowing of not only that terra has been infiltrated but it also shows to a degree the layers of we're show and this is where you can kind of play a lot of like game theory of were these people deployed to be like oh yes like we've thrown everyone at the white mountain for this chance to kill malkador so we obviously don't have any other traitors left on terra when the siege begins versus like okay this is just a group that was deployed for that and so that's that's what that's what the knight errants are doing outside is they're just mowing down hundreds if not thousands well, let these airdrop troops. And there's also and like a bunch of like constructs. Troops. Like there, there's some bigger guys. There's some bigger yeah. uh, uh, targets there. Yeah. But there's Not- also there's also a returning uh, champion um, that once again confronts uh, Garo. Mm-hmm. Let's take a step back because there was an amazing Flash Gordon moment. <laughs> was there? Yes, there is. There is yeah. Absolutely, because the way they deploy the cultists to the White Mountain is by airship yeah. So yep. the big cargo transports and they actually say there's a huge heat bloom from those and when they do a scan they realize the reason there's such a large heat bloom is because they're packed full of thousands of bodies so the first thing gary orders them to do is open fire with all weapons so you have this scene like the end of flash gordon when you know flash gordon's coming in with the war rocket ajax and all the palace's weapons are kicking off it's just just like that. And it's not just the, the Knights Errant. You've also got all the Malkador's Chosen, which are basically solar auxilia to a higher level. And then, like you say, there's thousands of cultists and constructs spilling down. The Knights Errant are having a whale of a time, particularly Varen. Hasn't Varen got a, fire, a, a flamer at he this He does, time? and he uses yeah. it. He... he... <laughs> He is as happy as a world eater in a battlefield because that's exactly what he is. He is loving this. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't make it though. Uh, he does get overwhelmed, and he does go down, which is sad. He was he was a he was again. I find loyalist world eaters just tend to be fun characters to read. Yeah, about absolutely. Because they're just they love what they do. Reminds me of in uh, Galaxy and Flames. One of my favorite bits is when that one guy, that one loyalist world eater, and. <laughs> Angron hadn't really done a lot of work to see who was a loyalist and who wasn't. He just kind of split his legion. Um, and and one of the guys, I don't remember his name, I think it started with a V. He's challenging, I'm gonna kill Angron. 
That's that was his whole goal. It's like this is awesome. I'm gonna kill Angron. He did not. No. <laughs> I don't want to spoil oh. that book, but um, oh. uh, no. Bless them. They're great. Um, uh, so then the Lord of the Flies shows up, but it's a different Lord of the Flies. It's not. <laughs> it's not Decius this time. So it, it turns out that the Lord of the Flies, and once again, all flies come on, big creature. Um, and and it turns out that uh, he's been um, he's been stealing some bodies. Mm-hmm. So this one's actually, I think, Solon, uh, uh, the, the 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 apothecary. Yes, um, and it, it goes back to um, what you talked about last time, JP, where there are all these like there's the original box of like the fate of Garrow. Yeah. And so we continue to get that kind of remixing of like all those different fates of Gera, where it's like, here's the apothecary who was looking for the cure and is now possessed by the Lord of Flies. Yep. And the Lord of Flies, of course, taunts him because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, he eventually says, I can, you know, I could use anybody. Uh, I will, I will, I will defile any of them and maybe you're next. Right. So Gera will be the next Lord of the Flies, which was again, one of the, hypotheses for what happened at the end of Gera. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at that point, this was when Varen was still alive and he torched him with his flamer. So it does come back though, in the same battlefield by, by the, by the end of the battle, they're fighting mostly zombies. Yeah, um, <laughs> of course they are. And, but we, no more we, get a, we, once we get a cutaway, we go back into the, into the mountain um, where Rubio, the scientist and you can see how much care I've learned, put into the le- remembering who the scientist is, which kind of tells you about how long she'll last um, as the three of them make their way into White Mountain. Okay, so this is yeah. where the trap is, 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 is laying. Well, this is, this is part two of the trap. This is part two. So you've got the external attack. Yep. And then they come in and rubio is, or sorry um malkador is examining the sisters of silence he has none of his psychic power um, and that's enough- an, that's an important point isn't it he does actually say to rubio that i yeah even i don't have my powers down here mm-hmm. and then rubio stabs the scientist through the back of the chest well it, it's slightly more interesting that isn't it because first they Get Malkador gets Rubio to listen to the voices and they hear the, the clear message of asking for peace. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Rubio hears that message, he closes the external door with the scientist behind it and then stabs her through the chest with his gladius through the door hatch. Oh, we then get is, the impression something is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Just a well, little more bit. someone is wrong. Yeah. And uh, we never have... trust an ultramarine. No, really, they're so cagey. No, they're always up to something. So uh, the trap was um, um, to to lure Malkador to a particular place and then trigger uh, Rubio, who turns out uh, so, has been kind of messed with. Yeah, and this is back on Cal. This is this is where things. So the, the the way the scene plays out is you've got Rubio as Michael Myers, the unstoppable killing machine, hunting down the old man, because that is all... Malkador at this point is literally just an old guy. Because he's got none of his powers, but he's an old guy with a refractor field and a plasma oh, projector. It's, it's more than a refractor field. True. Uh, as we said earlier, he's got access to Dark Age of Technology stuff. He's got access to all the Two good Two plus and well, uh, re-rollable. Yes. It, he, it's... What I like about Malkador at this stage is that he's actually impressed 
he's like, oh, Horace, this was quite clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm impressed. Like, yeah. Like, he, he, didn't, he didn't see it coming. What, what does he say at some point? He says, but yeah, the young boy always learned well. <laughs> yes, he, he does. And so there's, a, there's Cat and Mouse as Rubio the Astartes is hunting down this old man. And meanwhile, uh, Malkador is kind of keeping him talking, like, you know, trying to keep him busy, keep, try to figure out, like, how did Rubio get turned, right? Because, again, they're surrounded by blanks. This can't just be, like, mind control or a psychic effect. So there's got to be something deeper going on. Meanwhile, he's also killing blanks, trying to weaken the effect on himself to the point where he can use his powers, because he knows that he's stronger than Rubio, he he can find that balance point where he'll be able to use his psychic powers, and Rubio won't. It's the fact that Rubio does get a couple of uh, hit in at one mm-hmm. point as well, which is then dis- deflected by this dark age of technology, which also, well, almost knocks Rubio out because it, yeah. it's a bit like the um, it's. Well, the conversion film, the original rules for a conversion film is it converted anything to light and energy and yeah. blinded you. This seems to convert all that energy back at you. And it's another great example of the Imperium just kind of repurposing stuff because Malkador makes a note that it's it's powered by a microfusion cell, which, and it, it, that's not what it's supposed to be doing. Like, that it, it's this, it's basically something that could power like a city. But they're using it to power this. This he's using it to power a shield. Yeah, which is just classic Imperium. And eventually, he kills enough of the blanks, and he puts the psychic whammy on Rubio and dives into his head to try to figure out how exactly Horus pulled this off. He basically does a Thor with Mjolnir, doesn't he? He puts the device on Rubio to pin him in place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, and then Malkador you have- is clever. Yeah, and this yeah, brings and- us back many years to the horrors of Kalth mm-hmm. before he was rescued in mm-hmm. one of the great dick moves of the heresy where uh, Loken went to rescue Rubio and had a Thunderhawk empty and decided to just rescue the one guy instead of like, you know, grabbing all the Ultramarines he could or civilians yeah. or something like that. But no, he or, needs to put his Or just up. be like, hey, Guleman, the Emperor's not dead. Take yeah. your voice <laughs> Like, like, FYI, no, no, he had orders to rescue the one guy, and turns out the one guy had been messed with by Erebus. But I think um, one of the really disturbing things before Malkador works this out is he takes Rubio's Gladius and then off camera murders all the blanks Mm -hmm. because the next time Rubio comes across and sees. Uh, Malkador, and we'll come on to how he gets to that stage in a moment. Malkador is drenched in blood. <laughs> yes. So he oh. used, and and you have this description that he's dragging this gladius off with two hands. Yeah, because it's it's and, an sturdy sized sword, and Malkador yeah, is, is this old, an old man. man. <laughs> <laughs> so so you just have this image of this old guy murdering these <laughs> young women in a horrible fashion. Just so he can get his psychic powers back. Yep. And um, <laughs> that sums up Malkador the Sigilites. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> like, like like you said, JP, though, it turns out, and this, this is where things get really interesting from my perspective, 
it wasn't Horus. It was Erebus all along that Erebus is the one who set up and um, basically did a mixture of psychic and physical mental torture to not so much brainwash Rubio, but to basically kind of say, like, at some point, I think this guy is going to be alone with the Sigilite. I'm basically just going to make it so that his annoyance crosses the line to murderous. It's something quite interesting. It's a little bit more than that, though, isn't it? Because Erebus is directed. Because even Erebus questions, this one doesn't look special. So it's almost as if he's being directed by an external force to do this. Now, who that external force is, is it Nurgle? Because obviously the time is not linear in the warp. So does Nurgle know this is going to happen? And the fact this is connected with the Lord of Flies. Is it the Lord of Flies who directs? Well, I think Erebus to do this. I think it's the pantheon in general. We we know that Erebus does a lot of like divination, a lot of you know reading the entrails. So my guess is that it's kind of like the the powers of the warp in general guiding him. And this is this is why I like this this is why this whole thing gets become so interesting because this entire book, right? Everyone, including the reader, has assumed that this is Horus doing something clever. And it turns out that most of it's Erebus, that if if Horus was setting a trap, we never actually get to see what it is, because what we end up seeing is the culmination of Erebus's plan, which fits into that nice little framework of, of that we're seeing with, with Typhus, that so much of the heresy, everyone's looking at Horus and the Emperor, and they're not looking at Erebus, they're not looking at Malkador, they're not looking at the actual movers and shakers who end up being really pivotal to what ends up happening. But what is also interesting here is how Malkador repairs Rubio. Because he says he could fix it really easily, but Rubio's personality would be fundamentally changed and altered. He also considers but euthanizing he, Rubio. Yes. He, yes. Because that's the most straightforward way, isn't it? And sometimes that that is the way that needs to be used. But Malcolm decides to do it as a much more complicated way because he wants Rubio alive for a future use. Because you yes. cannot replace his heart or something like that, right? Like yeah. the, the, he he he's way too pure. He was messed with by Erebus, uh, but he's way too pure and important. So yeah, he completely. He he fixes him completely. He spends some time with it because Rubio is com- like he's he's in like a, a like a null space at this point. He's mm-hmm. um, me held in stasis as as Malkador fixes him, um, and and at the end of him, it, 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 it's actually kind of nice when he comes to. It's just like what happened. I don't remember anything after the door closed. As it's like ah oh, well, what happened was uh, all the sisters uh, attacked me. That was the trap, and mm-hmm. and you saved my life by killing them. Even though Malkador's drenched in blood. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, that's fairly believable. You're in an enclosed yeah. space as a space marine murders a whole lot of people. What yeah, else sense. is going to happen? He doesn't doubt but, it. It makes total sense. And, yeah. And, yeah. And well, no, Rubio does life. doubt it. He does doubt it because he can't remember anything. And he also knows what Malkador is like. Mm. And he actually, it does actually say this in the novel that Rubio is not entirely trusting of Malkador's story. Because Rubio can't remember exactly that's what right. happened, and that's yeah. very unusual for an Astartes to not remember what happened. And there's there's a line a little bit later 
um, when they're leaving, when they're on their way back to the palace, that that sense that he had where he wasn't trusting Malkador is fading over time. And he knows he should be worried about it, but he's not. Yeah, Mal- Malkador does Malkador things. Yeah. Honestly, I think that is a perfect way so this section well, no 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 it, no it's not because we haven't finished the battle of white mountain yes because we haven't talked about how the lord of flies is finally ended yep so because Ma- malkador and rubio they've dealt with the trap inside the mountain and they're like well we should probably help out with what's going on outside so you've got everyone fighting the lord of flies and all of these these plague zombies and uh, Malkador, Malkador does what well, you're not supposed to do, and he uses a flamer, kind of. But what we also need to remember as well is Varad has been possessed. Mm-hmm. So the way, I mean, Varad's got enough of his personality left because he's got some of these maggots inside him. And the way they deal with that is he pulls his grenade pins on himself and throws himself into a horde of zombies. Yeah. Ugh. Going out like a boss, and he, then you have this one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's great. And then you have this scene, and you know, in right, I think the closest comparison is you know, in episode Star Wars episode two, when Yoda turns up at the end to fight Dooku, and he walks in with his little walking stick, and we, we're used to Yoda being old and frail, aren't we? And then suddenly he throws down his stick, pulls out this lightsaber, and he becomes this muppet on speed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. This is Malkador at the end of this scene. This is Malkador Unleashed. He turns up on his walking stick, escorted by Rubio. You've got the Knights Errant who are drenched in gore and viscera and everything else. And this zombie horde is running towards them. And then Malkador just has his staff, which has got this flame on top. And he had just unleashed this psychic maelstrom through it that just annihilates everything. It's apocalyptic. And once he's annihilated everything and burned everything to ash, he just puts his staff back up and walks back to the mountain. As if, you know, today is Wednesday. It's very satisfying. <laughs> um, because th- there is definitely that sense with... It- it's one of those things, like we had a moment like this in Master of Mankind, where you know how powerful some of these characters are supposed to be, but you so rarely get to see it. right? And there's yeah. there's that there's that uh, sense of if only they would do something, right, things would be different. Like they can save the day. They just need to, to, do, to you know, get up and do it, right? It's, the, it, it's uh, you know, Achilles coming out of his tent, uh, that classic, classic uh, idea of here's the big damn hero who's stronger than everyone and he's finally going to do something. And you get to see it and you're like, yeah. That that was worth the wait. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But it what this section of the book does it does a very good job showing a the kind of machinations that Malkador gets up to, to the level of power Malkador has, but also people's unease around him and how he's just manipulating everyone to get to an end result. Yeah, and the other thing it shows is that. Even Malkador has blind spots that no one, you know, us, the readers included, 
was expecting that it turns out that Erebus is behind this, right? Everyone's so busy yeah. looking at Horus. And we, you know, we we know from books like um, No No Fear and, you know, the original Horus Rising and all that stuff, we, we know er- Erebus gets up to a lot of shit. And yet, you know, for the latter half of the Horus Heresy books, kind of once you're in that mid-heresy timeline, you know, kind of, I'd say probably starting with um, uh, pro- um, pretty much almost everything after No, No Fear, really. Mm, no, I take that back. Fear to Tread. Because we, we know in Fear to Tread that that there's an, that er- that's one of Erebus's, the last big thing we get from Erebus before this book is that Erebus thinks Sanguinius can be turned and Horus doesn't. Um, or Horus specifically doesn't care if he can be turned, he wants him dead. But after Fear to Tread, here's this major power player from the from a lot of these novels that just kind of disappears for a while. And after this book, we're not going to see him again until um, the siege. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we, we also know that Erebus eventually is captured and imprisoned on Jupiter, one of, one of Jupiter's moons, isn't he? So, yeah. So that's the end of this second half, isn't it? So the position we're in is in the past. Mortarian is prepared to launch his final invasion with his proxy Mark VI. It's called Tyrant Armor. You will respect it. In the present, we've got Mortarian and the Death Guard realising they're up against something they can't fight and they don't know how to respond. Typhus clearly does. And then in the to, on Terror, we've finished White Mountain, but there is clearly unfinished business with the Knights Errant. Yes, yes. And in that last third of the book, we kind of have a flip of this was very much set up for the Death Guard climax, um, and this was kind of the climax for the Malkador story. The rest of the Knight Errant stuff is very much dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Not yeah. a lot that's going to be surprising there for for... Um, fans of 40k and what happens uh, in the future, um, but we get we get the we get that culmination of we know what's going to happen to the Death Guard. We know what's going to happen with Mortarion. Can James Swallow do the heavy lifting and write it in a way that does it justice? Tune in next Age Darks podcast to find out. Mm-hmm. All right, welcome to Two Week Hobby Challenge. Um, Darren, what have you been working on in the last couple of weeks? Oh, it's been a busy couple of weeks. It, um, it's always was... a busy couple of weeks for you. Yes, you're very productive. Everybody knows well, already. Two, two things. Um, one, we had half term, so reproduction always goes up. But two, I also had an amazing geek end at Warhammer World. You think so? Geek as is tradition. Yeah, I, I was at Warhammer World for three days. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. You guys get Adepticon. I get regular visits to Warhammer World. I think it balances out. Um, I think. I'm not convinced, but I think. So yeah, so three of us have our birthdays in our gaming group, have our birthdays in October. So it's tradition, paused because of a pandemic, but it is tradition that we always meet up and have a weekend at Warhammer World. We're building up to a camp a Necromunda campaign. So this was kind of our last weekend of kind of prep work before we start the campaign in November in uh, the new year. So the first gaming catch-up in then will be our campaign. Uh, also played a bit Kill Team 
which I know Alex from Death and Portrayal podcast really enjoys. I get to see why. It's a really good little game. Is Thoroughly it? impressed. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, we had a, had What's one so game. good about I've, it, I've out of it. curiosity? I've, I've always looked at it. Uh, I, I love the terrain, uh, the uh, terrain slash uh, um, uh, like model kits. Yeah. They always seem like a fun game. Um, it just seems like a simplified version of, of 40k now. Well, it, it, the new version, new version of Kill Team, because it has been out now a few years. I think we're on about the third season now of it. Um, it's in some ways it's like a simplified Necromunda. It it's a stage up from 40k because models have got multiple wounds. Um, the targeting rules and the attack rules are much more, I won't say complex but they have extra levels in that 40k doesn't but it's not as complex as necromunda is the is the best way to describe it so each model can do a certain number of actions you're not fixed to just move shoot fire hand to hand etc like you do in 40k each character can or each model can choose what it wants to do when you're attacking with a weapon you're rolling multiple attack dice versus multiple defense dice so there's a lot more nuance with the game it's not like some of the earlier versions of Kill Team, which was basically just 40k with a dozen models and yeah, that's one shooting attack. Yeah, no, it, it's not like that at all now. It's much more nuanced. So a model can be shot and survive with a few wounds left over so they can still do things, for example. And the narrative side, the, the campaign side of it is much more in-depth than it's ever been, really. Just thoroughly enjoyed it. It it's, scratches a similar itch to Necromunda, but it's not as in-depth as Necro, like I was saying. So you can get on with the game much faster. But no, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed oh, cool. it. I, I rolled out my um, Imperial Navy Breacher team with shotguns. Love them. Fantastic. Great little team. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so that's, that was the main thing. Managed to go around the exhibition. Uh, they've got a lovely exhibition of Warhammer at the moment, 40 years of Warhammer. And they've got some of the old games in there. Man of War. I had a bit of Man of War on display in there. My so, love, yeah. man. Oh, fuck, Man of War is so great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that was great to see. And and just the chance to wander around Warhammer World, to be honest, which is always amazing. It, uh, I know you've been yourself, but it's always good just to kind of soak up the atmosphere, have a wander around the exhibition. Yeah. So that that's the main thing. Um, in terms of actual hobby hobby, rather than gaming hobby, um still working on some board and actions terrain that's kind of a long-term project and i've almost finished my battletech company my mercenary company just because i wanted to do something very very different to a lot of stuff i've been working on so it's just like let's let's crack out some battletech because that's always good for a laugh so that's that's been my couple of weeks i would imagine you've been doing some don't look back well it was october wasn't it of course it was I mean, so I was what, working what on, else uh, did you work on? I, I was preparing. Well, before that, I was preparing uh, for the launch of uh, Epic uh, by fixing up my Titans. But I had to put that project aside to, uh, of course, work on some horror stuff because it was October. So I, I built myself a vampire, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, nice old Nosferatu style uh, vampire rather than like, you know, the, you know, the Dracula style. Technically, yeah. it was definitely like a ripoff of anyways. Everybody knows the story of Nosferatu. Um, could could you not find some lost boys lost boy style vampires for donut back? I mean, I'm they, sure you could. They, they you could use any 32 mil model. There's definitely like a 32 yeah. millimeter uh, 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 Kiefer Sutherland 
blonde vampire somewhere. Yeah. I chose the 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 Nosferatu one. Uh, anyways, I, I do appreciate that. Great sculpt. So I had fun uh, putting that one together. Um, and uh, I've been working on some terrains. So I've been uh, working on a, I guess, a train track. Oh, last year. Did I, did I not show you this? I thought I sent it to you yesterday. I was working on this the last couple, a couple of days. I have seen it. Yeah, you, you, you did post it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, I bought this boxcar, this uh, 32 millimeter uh, boxcar. So O scale for the rail people out there. Uh, boxcar last year, and I didn't really do anything with it. Uh, so I started working on, um, I guess, a, I would say, 20 inch by six inch, like piece of rail. Right, like a, a, a tra- uh, uh, like a track for a, a larger a train piece. So yeah, it's got a lot of plastic art in there, and and uh, you know, I had fun with it. So I'm working on that. I'm hopefully gonna have that done soon. Now it's after Halloween, unfortunately. Uh, so I didn't get it done by Halloween, but uh, I don't know, man. For me, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Yeah, you know what would be really good for a, a Halloween type project? Night Lords. Just saying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> really need to work on that. I, I just it just feels daunting right now to work on a whole army. <laughs> now that yeah, I've gotten no, I, now I, that I've gotten used to uh I've tasted the forbidden fruit of the tiny skirmish game. Uh oh, you see to, like it, a whole army. Just Jesus Christ. No, yeah, ne- this, next next year. project is gonna be uh, uh is gonna be uh, epic. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, and I do agree. 2023 for a lot of people seems to have been the year of skirmish games. Very much so. Wow, that was just refreshing. It, well, yeah, it's also it's, like you can paint 10 models and be done. That That's the thing I've really enjoyed this year. So it's like I've done a, you I've done a squad. one Excellent. model and that could be your project for the day. And then you're done a project uh, as opposed to painting yeah. one model. Is just like, well, I got to paint another hundred of these guys. Yeah, it's fun. So it's been it's been a refreshing experience, but I'm very much looking forward to Epic. I will paint all the Lehman Russes, all of them. Absolutely, and it's not like we we haven't talked about Lehman Russ in this episode, is it? Let's let's be honest. That is true. Lehman um, Russ and Nalkadors. It's it's the way forward, especially when you have quantity over quality. But qu- uh, quantity has a quality all its own. But moving on, um. I did not uh, plan a, a song for the end of this episode. I, I forgot, but there will be a song at the end of, the, of this episode and it's going to be a banger. So stay tuned for that. And I'll, I'll hey, figure it out later. Hey. Or maybe I'll awkwardly spice what it was. I forgot. <laughs> um, to be fair, there have been a lot of releases yesterday, uh, recently on Bandcamp for various bands that we've. I mean, we've we could throw another Stuka. You want, to, you want to just throw another <laughs> you, fucking Stuka? You, you could never beat Stuka. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, I'm gonna, the, the, the new one that came out was Ancient Ryan. <laughs> it's a banger. All right, we're doing Stuka again. Second episode in a row, we're doing Stuka. I am not ashamed to just put Stuka on every episode. It is the best band ever. So Ancient Ryan by Stuka. What are we doing next episode? Calling show. Here we go. It's for, it's for Militia Calling Show. It's what we've been waiting for. We get to hear, I mean, people have been hearing our crazy project ideas now for four episodes. I am still looking at Tauntaun Riders and Bears. So, so, you know, they're still there, my Bear Ogren Warriors. Um, but yes, we want to hear your ideas. We're going to be listening to the wide variety of militia options which are out there. And let's face it, 
as we said before, this is a modeler's army. There's lots of options to talk about how to create your own militia army. And what are we doing for Tales of Heresy? Well, for last one. That's it. That's it. The next episode is, th- that's it. We will have done all of them. Yeah, I'm sure we'll end up well. I'm sure Mortarian will turn out fine in the end. Yeah. Oh, I, I believe in him. Should be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah, Typhon's yeah. there to look after him. It'll be fine. Yeah. All right, so that was episode 138 of the Age Darks podcast. As usual, thank you all for listening.